in my oh, telegram cool. doing all the live stuff now <laughs> um all right quote tweet all right i hope that's what you Let's remove that. There you go. All right. That was great, Prude. I love that intro. That was amazing. Well, thank you. I'm um, trying to do more of them. Who is the music by? Uh, I just looked up some kind of uh, copyright music. Oh, good, online. good, good. <laughs> I, I, I played I was, it safe. For, <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, none of my times that I've done it on our channel would have been monetized. I was low-key surprised that I got away with the George W. Bush bit because I was wondering if that was going to get you know yeah they do i know they do copyright some speeches but i think that was yeah that was a pretty good one i like the george w bush speech but like only you like you didn't pick the crusader one you didn't pick the mission of college only you would know <laughs> would know that speech probably um, probably yeah so this stream i'm wearing i broke out my south park shirt just to like uh make a good uh you know commentary but this is the Digital Archipelago number 11 on my channel this week. Last week was on Prudes. Um, and we are talking about the book by Thurston Botts Borstein, Deculturation, one of my favorite books, one of my favorite authors. And I think that it would be a dream come true if I actually had contacted him. Like, hey, do you want to come on uh, Content Minded? Um, that would be amazing. Because I feel like when you find a very niche, interesting scholar writing very niche, interesting books that only people like us would really enjoy. I wonder if I could like bring him up. You know, there's something that Godwinson said once he said this about, I know, I know he said this about his, uh, uh, Alexander golden Jahan's video where he said that when you do find an obscure lol cow, or when you find an obscure source of meaning or content, you know, they could transcend your reach, but you get to dictate those initial salvos, those initial explorations. You get to sort of mold the way that an audience um, takes up a, a person. I mean, in that case, he was talking about one of the most prolific uh, lol cows to come out of England. But I feel like if I did bring more awareness to the work of uh, Bots Borstein that, you know, I, I think he'd be like, Oh my God, all of a sudden, like a bunch of like right wing spurgs are like you know, enjoying my work now. This is incredible. Um, but, anyways, hope everyone is having a good week, a good day. Many events, many happenings, many Twitter dramas. To I don't know if we want to cover it first, but before we get to that preliminary shilling, really quickly, yesterday I released my content, even though he deactivated again, but it'll probably be back soon. Uh, my content-minded episode with Marcus, um, Zuma Schopenhauer. Amazing theory cell episode. Um, I recently got into a trouble. I got uh, uh, The Irony Bros are after me. Again. Nah, I don't know if they're after me. They, my prolific horny posting, but a theory cell horny post about this glow-in-the-dark e-girl that the, the feds have hired to go on TikTok and talk about uh, being in the military. 
So I want to write an article about her, actually. I think it's quite interesting, this relation between Eros and Thanatos that Sigmund Freud talked about. But all, but anyways, I'm just paranoid, baby. I'm just paranoid. But um, I'm glad that my my uh, horny posts are even uh, have some some uh, you know uh, delicious uh, um, Spencer Grunhauer type uh, theory selling there. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know, that's a reference to our good friend Baltic Dan's new upcoming forthcoming novel called Nutcranker. I will release the foreword when that book comes out. Um, he had to censor some words though, him and Matt Forney, uh, the, the certain type of posting, the C word posting word he had to get out of there. So my forward. Yeah. Oh boy. I, I, I had to, I, I was told to write the blurb for it. Dan had messaged me about it. And I was like, man, how do I write <laughs> with, <laughs> with everything that takes place? And if you're, um, but go ahead with your, your shilling. I'll talk more about that in a bit. Yeah. We'll talk about the book a little bit. Maybe we'll get Dan on when it comes out. Um, well, I've got him scheduled to come on next month. So, okay. Uh, yeah. I, I'm having Hudson on tomorrow to talk yeah. about automaton. So I just want to bring all of our friends on to just get as much cross promotional stuff for our books. Cause uh, earlier this week, there was this th uh, little thread that was coming around by some, I, I shit you not, like a 28-year-old Upper West Side writes fiction, and he was Whoa. talking about, um, and he's like, it's like a 400-follower account. And I don't mean to diss him, because I thought he brought up a, an interesting point, but he was just saying, like, oh, you know, I, I'm really getting tired of, like, people coming out with these, like, debut manuscripts that aren't Oh, I saw good, that. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, what are you talking about? Like, all of the books that I've been reading out of our side have been interesting and good and that there's this sort of like semi-formal network of writers that is just getting together to ask for forwards like with uh, dan or blurbs like for me from dan even uh, artwork by the yeah, way yeah artwork as well i mean i just think that you know since the publishing industry you know the legacy industry of publishing houses is getting investigated for antitrust we find out the real numbers <laughs> of how much a book really does get sold and it's just like, so our friends are doing better than, you know, whoever gets published by like, you yeah. know, Penguin or Random House Publishing. So it's just like, well, the industry's alive. It's just not, you know, cultivated yeah. in traditional ways. And so, well, I mean, I even our friend Aristophanes was talking about that. Yeah, I think it was it Aristophanes or was it, um, was it you or Second City Bureaucrat that like ratioed that guy pretty hardcore? Uh, um, I did for sure. I know Aristophanes. I think we all did because we forced yeah. his account to go private for three days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. That's why. Yeah, because I saw someone said the guy went private. What an Epsler. Um, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I think like Bronze Age mindset, for instance, I think outsold pretty much the majority of like mass market paperback. Um, books that are released by like conserva publisher tm like i know for instance simon and schuster since the late 80s has published these type of books like they published um closing the american mind um i think that we should cover that one of these days yeah we should actually maybe next week um like the, especially the left nietzschean chapter was quite <laughs> interesting um like because that closing the american mind has like a phenomenal importance to american culture war i mean it was one of i think ronald reagan said it was the book that he had in his nightstand um so that like really shaped a lot uh especially for a straussian so but yeah i think like I, I i know that i forget who i was talking to 
that said that a lot of these like conservative pundit books that get released by like hosts of Fox News or like the Daily Wire. Yeah. They go to the offices of all of these like like Fox News, Super PACs, um what's the big con- the big Republican thing? Like Not CPAC. The- CPAC, CPAC, yeah. I was going to say AFPAC, but like that's a, <laughs> that's um, a different one. Or the the Con Inc, not the uh, TPUSA Turning Point and all that jazz. Like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, they do. And you see this every year, uh, every election year, every four years. Everyone and their mother that runs for the primaries will write a book outlining their version of the American dream and yeah. what they're going to do. And they're all ghostwritten. And it's just, yeah. I mean, everyone buys them, right? And I, I think it was like uh, Matty Glacius or somebody or some other sort of like out there pundit kind of writer was just talking about like, well, you know, Oh, they're number one bestsellers in the New York Times, but that's because like they're like you ship out fifty thousand copies all over the place. Like yeah. it's not it's not that yeah. it gets read. And I mean, even this show for like this is I, people are like, well, you know, you, you guys get usually like an, about an average of three thousand views. I was like, that is more than any academic has ever had in terms of like influence at a at a normal college you yeah. know, situation with their career and their whole cv being put out for its publishing history so i mean yeah the the, the game Which has is definitely sad, but, changed you know. um to where in a way it kind of relates back to the book that uh, that we're going to cover today that you know um this is more marketable so we're getting to see the youtube influencer video game twitch streamer it's all very kitsch now to where it's all sort of the same thing because it's marketable and it's easy to do so uh which means yeah authenticity or real culture is hard to get a hold of yeah and even the medium by which they're disseminated changes that relationship and kitschifies it um the age of social media versus the age of the early internet i mean i think who was talking about this i think it was um it may have been Billy uh, or no, no, no. It may have been Aristophanes about the, uh, the nature of the early internet forum culture and like post like social media is like geared towards eternal September forever. Um, like this is what we're stuck with. And the fact that like, there is no originality and the fact that um, in a weird way, like even you last night, we're talking about this with Patrick Casey, like the blogosphere, returning with the v and forum culture um especially a certain forum which you <laughs> which was not mention um that has to do with an egyptian god um <laughs> um by the way sneed those super chats i want do i have a super chat already or i don't know um it would pop up in your comments yeah it would pop up in my thing um but sneed those super chats please um <laughs> uh buff don't worry i think lomez is uh working on the recent shipments of uh, passage prize but anyways um where is that hide wars video where a certain think of arnie says i won yeah i won <laughs> that was i remember in the dms when that video came out uh with warren and uh that was a pretty um that was a surreal time in history but anyways yeah, I think the publishing industry is done for it in, in general. Like I was watching, I I was, I was doing my uh, workout yesterday and I was like, there was a, a YouTube ad and it was, oh, it's with Ruby core and it was sponsored, sponsored by Barnes and Noble where she said that uh, at five years old, I picked up a pen and started drawing and never stopped. 
so many years later, challenging the patriarchy, dismantling it, having a book deal. It's like, oh my God. Listen, I picked up a pen at that age and I've, I've been drawing for the patriarchy every... No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, but I think it's, it's quite indicative of, I think, the way that the publishing industry has gone. And the fact that like someone like Bronze Age Pervert could basically outsell every conservative pundit who hands out their like ridiculous books like candy like um do you do you have book depot in the states matt you have equivalent? uh i don't well what would book depot be like just a chain like matt, store or like like the sort of factory floor direct wholesaler bookstore uh if there is i don't know i mean there's plenty of places that i can order online like that from but i mean amazon's basically taking that chunk yeah, over that i yeah. know of but i mean where i live you know i'm a stone's throw away from a local bookstore a books a million and a barnes and noble and mm. i try my best to avoid them nowadays unless i want to like go pick up like publications because i i'm a sucker for physical media almost yeah, everyone knows too. this and yeah. um i just i really can't stand e-reading i really don't uh, despite the fact i have like a whole solid state drive full of books that i will never get to and I, but that's the thing, though, with the publishing industry. I can buy off Amazon, or if someone's got their own publishing house, I can buy books from them. Like, my copies of Decline of the West come from Rogue Scholar Press. A lot of my political books that I've bought have come straight from Imperium Press. Mm. I, you know, uh, there's other plenty of publishing houses out there. Antelope Hill, Terror House Press. I mean... Yeah, and they banned a bunch of Antelope Hills, too. From yeah, Amazon. they have. So, I mean, MSD you're... MSDOT. <laughs> you're you're kind of left to to go directly to them because you walk in like i hate books a million and i hate barnes and noble because you'll walk in and like the first thing you'll see is just like you'll walk into a barnes noble and it's like well here are all the top reads that like the new york times wants you to read so it's all that like really cringe political shit and then ruby core in there as well yeah and a a, you know a a strain uh, or just like a whole wall or aisle filled with funko pops and then if like you walk into a barnes and noble it's like the perfect like alt girl but they're all lesbians now or worse because you can't get goth alt styles without you know the dick being attached and so they're, well they're non-binary now too well yeah the real the girl uh, well yeah. that's what it's i in b just to me just means ugly but you know um <laughs> you walk into a, a books a million and like what's the first thing i see is like tarot cards and weird dream catcher wiccan shit and it's just yeah. like uh, there's no you know what you're to... getting into yeah you know what you're getting into and then there's the anime the funko pops the weird models and collect it's like the perfect bugman store so i have to like run straight to the very end yeah. where the magazine but it's are, only so the go. top crunchy roll anime mangas it's not like the real esoteric ones um but yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> no, but th- this bookstore, um, damn the MB girls, uh, you know, no longer can you go into a local bookshop and find kind of like a five to six out of 10 Abby winners type of girl that you could probably, uh, <laughs> <laughs> do not Google Abby. Winners. Do, do not, not research. Do not research. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, nowadays, like it's the blue, it's the multicolor hair, the green hairs. Um, but this box store, um, Book Depot, it's like a wholesaler that's in like a factory floor type deal. You know, they converted factory to like Amazon shipping house, whatever. Yeah. 
There is one it, like that that I know of in Portland, but that's the only place. Yeah, yeah, I think it's much more of a Canadian thing, um, or like north, the you know north north, mm-hmm. where you basically every year they have this box sale, where you can fill a box for like thirty bucks, and the only like commentary, like the only like real political books besides like the leftoid, like Michael Moore. You know, I think I saw like Silly White Men, whatever his book called Stupid White Men or whatever. But a lot of them are like the right wing ones are like the conservative pundit ones that like nobody reads because they've only been on Fox News a handful of times. And like I have like a bunch of them and it's like all of like the conservative like culture war issues like um I think even like Ezra Levant, like ethical oil book is there. Like, it's really crazy. Like these, and they all have like the bold text, the bold font. And it's like, um, yeah, yeah. That's what conservative punditry. The only thing I found really good once was I found, um, a copy of, uh, Foucault's, what was it called? Which one was it? The college de France lectures, society, territory, and state. That was, that was like the good, the one, like, actual philosophy book because all the philosophy books that they have in these book sale wholesalers it's always like philosophy of inception or um oh yeah yeah, i I was gifted one time like i think it was like 20 it was like 2014 i was like just starting college and someone gave me a philosophy and madmen book yeah i was like you know that's the stuff that you pull from there and it's funny because the other uh, the other month or so um i managed to uh, one of our local bookstores was closing and they had a it was like the day before, like they were supposed to give over the keys and everything. And they were just basically like, everything's free, just like sack it, you know? And it just, I felt like a barbarian plundering Rome. And I asked my parents, because I was at work at the time, I was like, hey, can you like, please go raid this, uh, this bookstore before I get off work to go head on over there? And they did. And they're like, well, we try and picked out stuff that you were interested in. And all of the political texts in there was like George W. Bush era, you know, instapundent style books. So like, there's like copies of Bush world or like why W is the worst thing on God's green earth. And it just, yeah, it yeah. just felt like uh, an older vanished time because like even the stuff that was out there was like, I did manage to get two copies of uh, some stuff from Pat Buchanan. And that was probably the, the only good takeaway. Yeah. The rest was just yeah. like, here's something by Dinesh D'Souza. And I was like, well, you know, that can go. Yeah. The, the Dinesh D'Souza book. ones, they're all, they always litter these type of bookstores. Oh, yeah. um, Imagine a world without her. Well, yeah, you know. no, it's not i mean i don't know if i'm norwooding a bit um but i mean maybe it is to just it's just just, when i do norwood it's to prime people to accept the fez so i i have an excuse but uh, i can't believe it no super chat so far i can't believe you people prude made bank last night with patrick casey can't believe well i had a pet was adamant for his audience to do it but i mean don't okay there you go don't come off that way you know (laughs) <laughs> don't let's not let's not be like the five dollars kind of shit let's the let's not, stoop. let's not stoop we love I our always, audience i always make that thing that even before stefan molyneux it was that horrendous stream i don't know if you could find it with the amazing atheist and fake Sagan, where he's waving around a glock and they're drunk and they're they're they banned a guy for only giving them like two dollars or something um Lord. before Stefan Molyneux did it, uh it was TJ Kirk. Uh but but speaking of unspeakable horrors beyond our imagination, um 
where was I going to lead up with that? No, anyways, shilling, shilling time. So yeah, last week, uh, sorry, last yesterday, uh, the stream with with uh, Zoomer, uh, Zoomer, Schopenhauer, uh, Zoomer Schopenhauer. I, I I don't I was my mind was stuck on Zoomer Theosis, but it's Zoomer Schopenhauer. Um, because I just know him as Marcus, but it's like you know, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was amazing uh, stream. We talked about his sort of take on scientism and. Kantian and post-Kantian philosophy, his critique of Heidegger. And we talked about uh, the history of the SMP and England. And what else? We well, we talked about religion, mysticism, but also his four varieties of uh, neo-paganism and paganism that he covers. And we also mentioned uh, Mike from Imperium Press, uh, his brand of paganism being the most coherent. And uh, yeah, a really great stream, full version on Patreon. Uh, next week, I don't know if I'll release the second one with Stain Haynes or not, but uh, I I have to get around to releasing my video called More Artifacts from the Future, which is by the Institute for the Future that actually has a lot of glow-in-the-dark type of uh, ties. I believe uh, Schwab Real Human, which I'm trying to get on the show, uh, actually mentioned the Institute for the Future in his recently freed article um, about what's it called? I have to look it up, but it's the, it's the more recent Schwab human one. And I, I, I was reading it uh, to prepare for, you know, the episode with him and they mentioned Institute for the Future and how it had relation to the Rand Corporation. I'm like, Oh my God, there you go. Talking about, you know, um, <laughs> telekinesis, how to mimic it with AI and so forth. And uh, so, yeah, next week will probably be another Stain Haynes one. I have um, one I'm in the process of recording with uh, Default and Astral. And I have a bunch of other ones. And uh, next week I'm going to be on a pretty good stream, but I'll, I'll have to work out the details. And uh, tonight I'm recording, which will hopefully be out in a few days, Again, with uh, Constantine Martelli and my good friend, Goran GSP, we're talking about the recent developments on the special military opera based in. So <laughs> now to be known as partial mobilization. So I'm not going to talk about the blue-yellow situation this stream. I'm saving it all for tonight. I kind of went off last week a little bit, <laughs> with uh, you know, but things are changing quite rapidly. So we'll cover all of that. But uh, so... Final shilling for you, Prudentials, before we get on. Uh, I know last yesterday, yesterday, last night, amazing stream of Patrick Casey, TR Hudson tomorrow, and uh, what's your schedule looking like? Uh, after that, Sunday Oh, and a Substack. There you go. I forgot. I have to read it still, but yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pierce no, the I veil. Mean, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> piercing the veil. I, yeah. again, list of bands I did not listen to when I was growing up. <laughs> Uh, you know, my, my dad had Jan and Dean and the Beach Boys on in the car when we drove places, but you know, oh, man. Um, oh. Uh, no, I mean, Stane Haynes asked me a while back if uh, I could write something about living and life, you know, as sort of because the last issue of Carson Women was about uh, or the most recent ones about death, which T.R. Hudson was featured is going to be featured in. Yeah. Uh, so all the more reason to buy a copy of Carson Women magazine. No two copies are alike. And uh, you and so he asked me to do it and I. I tried time and time and time again to do some sort of short story about it. And I realized I just couldn't. And I just turned on my like phones. Uh, like I was going to send a text to somebody, some speech to uh, text. And I just copied that and edited and put it on there. So 
Uh, this Sunday, though, I'm going to have our friend Furious Pertinax on. We're going to talk about some of the recent issues between Turkey and Greece over claims in the Aegean Sea. And then I'm currently scheduling something with Semiagog and Jimmy Thomas about also the recent mobilization and the news out of uh, Russia with regards to what's happening in Ukraine. So there's a lot of stuff coming forward. Yes. We're going to try our best to be as um, encompassing as possible, both geographically speaking, but um, also the logistical side, because Jimmy Thomas is a military veteran. So it, it'll be really good, I think, mm. once we get that all planned out. So uh, stay tuned for the announcements. And of course, yeah, yesterday I had Patrick Casey on. I thought it was a really good discussion. So things are going pretty well. And then hopefully tomorrow I'll have an article out for our wonderful subscribe star backers and Substack um, patrons. So plenty of good stuff yeah. coming up. Yeah, and for my patrons, the last episode of uh, my review of Psychopolitics is going to be dropping uh, probably this weekend, hopefully, uh, where we get into his solutions or partial solutions. And uh, I think after this, people have asked me to cover... Um, what book did they want me to cover? Either a... Uh, I'm trying to do a few articles, but maybe I'll cover uh, something else spicy. I know a patron floated the idea of another Byung-Chul Han book. Uh, but maybe in the future. Um, I'm waiting for his newest one. It got delayed till October. So uh, that'll be great. So yeah, that's great, Pruda. Yeah, the article I highly recommend. I've, I've skimmed your article, but uh, I have I have a, a similar piece in mind, but I have to rate that. I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna send it to to default uh, substack, the glow in the dark e-girl article. So <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's amazing. Uh, are you going to do the stream with, uh, semi -agog? uh, like, are you going to do it after the referendums in, uh, uh yeah, in most likely Europe? it'll be after the referendum. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty confident it's going to go in, in Russia's favor. I'd imagine that partial mobilization because you have to really like, this is why I was kind of not that shocked at this partial. Well, I mean, I'll talk about it tonight. But yeah. I'm not that shocked because if they do vote in the referendum the way that Russia wants, I mean, they're basically considered Russian citizens. And it, it'll be glow. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, Strykov vindicated. <laughs> Kierkegaard vindicated. Um, but let's move on to... Uh, yes. Oh, hello, Sean. Sean's in the chat. Very nice. Um, so let's move on. Oh, right. We, we actually do have super chats. Oh, my God. I, I love how I guilted and shamed my, my own patrons into giving me super chats. Oh, man. That's amazing. I will get to them at the end of the stream. But let's go on. Let's move on. Okay, so let me set this up. Thurston bots Borstein. Borstein. Oh, never mind. I'm not going to make that. Um, I don't know how. I think, you know... You know, Matt, when you just, you know, when you find something that just comes to you in the aether when you're Googling and it's like things just make sense. I don't know where Prude went, but one night I was Googling something. I was, I was trying to search papers. This is years ago. And out of the aether, I found this book, Deculturation, and this author, and, and it just opened up a world. The intersection between politics and aesthetics 
and the critique of modernity just really spoke to me. So deculturation is about the process of a sort of destruction of culture in the modern world and this uniting of liberalism and kitsch. And it's just chef's kiss. And he has a bunch of other crazy books. He has this book that proved you should read this about how ISIS, not the band, the other group, is fulfilling the legacy of Italian futurism through their mobilization of technology. He has this other book called The Cool Kwai about African-American culture enjoying anime. I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. The oh, Black I mean, that's, Weeb. that's beyond you, true. He wrote a whole book on the Black Weeb. My God. Um, he has a bunch of other books about uh, architecture in Japan and Russia and China. And how um, I was reading this one article actually about how Nietzsche, you mentioned how Nietzsche said that the monument becomes impossible in the modern world because we are disconnected from our history. Um, but yeah, he amazing works. He has a bunch of other books on um, his whole thing. And he sort of carries this weirdo sort of mix of uh, eclectic, you know, Eastern philosophy with political aesthetics um, with a lot of sinologists he really is a philosopher, kind of like Byung-Chul Han is. He is a philosopher of space and, and spatiality and sort of opening up different spaces the way that Byung-Chul Han and Mark Og with the non-place book is. And um, I think he's a fascinating scholar. In this book, Deculturation, he also talks a little bit about Evola and Burkhart and uh, other sort of verboten scholars. And he has this whole chapter dedicated to... Uh, Christopher Lash's culture of narcissism because to him, kitsch opens up the space of narcissism, but let's go, let's go basic definitions. What is deculturation? What is your first impressions prude? Um, and what did you think of the book? He does mention geopolitics as well. He mentions about the sort of um, the, the Arab world embrace of kitsch with these uh, Saudi and uh, United Arab Emirates uh, billionaire oil tycoons and uh, I thought that was fascinating. Um, but what's your, what was your first impressions, actually? Well, I, I, I managed to get through the first three chapters because, yeah. I mean, you had DM'd me saying, like, if we we're going to focus on anything, focus on those three. And I, I quite enjoyed the text. I found uh, Orstein's sort of idea of um, truth being rooted explicitly in culture to be interesting. Uh, and I'm sure there's probably more that I, I I'll still need to read, uh, in regards to, uh, you know, the, the position on religion, but I, I thought that, you know, this was building off of a lot of the things that, you know, I've read before, especially a lot of reliance and citation of, uh, of lash and the impact that once we sort of separate, uh, truth from any sort of cohesive longstanding mm -hmm. tradition, then, everyone's going to look for alternatives and the, you know, the alternative aesthetic truth I think is perfectly encapsulated in a lot of things that we see today, whether it's the humans of flat design or everything in these like soy facing hyperbole. Cause that's one of the big things that I, I noticed here was, is that, you know, in, in this alternative, you know, deculturated world, hyperbole is the only way to get people's attention uh, because everyone's looking for some kind of meaning and some kind of difference. And I thought that that was very good. Um, it was funny, we were mentioning the uh, selfie earlier today in the uh, in the stream, and I quite thought that there was a, yeah. 
a point there that was definitely worth making because we do live in this age of, you know, narcissism again, Borstein's building off lash. And, uh, he said the selfie was inevitable actually. Well, yeah, he said lash had singled out the proliferation of images as a catalyzer for narcissism. Today, the image flood has turned society into a spectacle in which the individual attempts to participate narcissistically, um, via selfies. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, Borstein's, of course, principal thesis is that, you know, kitsch is the alternative aesthetic truth um, that, you know, whether it's building off Harry Frankfurt's idea of, you know, like the bullshit theory and all that jazz. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that everyone sees it in its own form or fashion. I mean, you famously have talked about neoliberal kitsch before, uh, not mm-hmm. only here on YouTube, but on, as well as your writings. And I mean, what a better example than I think what we've seen in an age of globalization to where everything has been deterritorialized and re-territorialized into the most, uh, yeah. scraping the barrel, you know, most common denominator type deal. I mean, I think that's actually a huge part of like sort of the USG's form of uh, foreign policy actually is, you know, trying to offer an alternative aesthetic truth and image I mean, you see this with like NATO wave edits now, but most importantly, you saw this with like, um, you know, Jihad versus McWorld. The idea that, you know, constant uh, McDonald's everywhere, the whole Democratic McDonald's peace theory that um, Thomas Friedman pointed out in the New York Times back in the 1990s. And I thought that, you know, this is a very valid thesis, um, very much out of the like new left school of thought from the 1960s and 70s. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. um, which I mean, we could we could go into. Um, yeah, I don't know it was why. A very good read. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I uh, trying to share screen because my Microsoft Edge does not come up. But I'll have to share my whole screen here. Well, there you go. There you go. So deculturation. Why is there so much catch? One reason. Well, I wonder why. One reason is that we are living at the age of hyperbole. Hyperbole. <laughs> I love hyperbole. Um, <laughs> There is simply too much of everything. Extreme sports, like deathmatch wrestling, doping, eating contests, hyper skinny models, along with obesity, mass shootings, and addictions. However, kitsch is determined by a deeper pattern, which is the pattern of deculturation. Humans need truths to believe in, but in the past, those truths tended to be transmitted through culture. In neoliberal world, truth is increasingly produced instantaneously without cultural mediation, Kitsch employs this mechanism in the realm of aesthetics. Suddenly, your explosion of kitsch must be seen as a symptom of a large-scale civilization. Um, by the way, I, I use open brow. I use open word because uh, I, I got tired of giving Bill Gates my money. So, the, t- the term deculturation emerged in sociology and debates about the efficiency of colonialism, subsequent losses of culture. So, I haven't read Bored in You. I, I've heard some good things. I have as reader. I probably should read more from him. But sociology de la Gia, the sociology of Algeria, we speak of deculturation when a particular group is deprived of one or more aspects of its culture. The entire process of modernization has been such as the process of deculturation. John Tomlinson writes the modernity is technologically and economically powerful, but culturally weak. Whoa, that's amazing. I love that one. Um, so I think deculturation... Let, let's talk about the religion thing first. Let's talk about the sort of uh, the geopolitical implications. Let's get it out of the way. Um, to to Bots Borstein, what he and, and, and let me. I want to get your take if you agree or not. Sure, sure. He, yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. Um, 
I don't know if you agree, but you know, you see in in uh, the 1930s, uh, the communists were everywhere in, in culture, and uh, no, <laughs> um, you know, you had to be a communist member. It's like say say all the cool right wingers went to Hungary or went to uh, what's the example you use? Belize, I think. I yeah, think Belize. So. Used yeah. Belize. Although all the cool right wingers have gone to Hungary. Yeah, place, yeah. So. Now they're gonna go to Mexico. So apparently, that's gonna be the next uh, front. On right wing horny posting. Um, so <laughs> oh, because all the shit libs have basically colonized Mexico City. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's so funny. But anyways, uh, on on religion, you were saying. Yeah, okay, that's that's pretty funny actually. Mexico City's the new uh, object so of liberal of of uh, leftward colonialism. Um, so. <laughs> well, it's like that. It's like that tweet where they were showing some like hippie or communist commune, <laughs> and they were just like. Oh, I said, you know, screw Guatemalans. It's just vibes here. Oh, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. That, te- that that tends to be the it's all um, white women. Yeah, it's all it, yeah, it's all like white, uh, mainly white women. But yeah, it's just like that tends to be the uh, you know their version of white flight is that if you can't afford gated communities, you just take what little barista money you have and just like try and make it decent and like a you know central american country somewhere and just hope for the best <laughs> yeah it's in in england they have the equivalent but going to india where um they or bali where uh like if they, if they wear that certain they come back they wear that certain uh pants and uh they uh they have relations with the older shaman uh 20 years their their senior um you know they that's the way it works but our equivalent i guess in america is going to mexico and uh, Mexico City. So, uh, or going to some other, like you were saying, South American or Central American country. Uh, <laughs> um, no Guatemalans, just vibes. Um, but that's really, I think, no, but see, we bring that topic up because that is part and parcel of the sort of Western deculturation that's going on. Uh, just no, no Guatemalans, just vibes. That's a great, you know, jumping off point. Um, So deculturation, when it comes to religion, his argument is that in a globalized world where religion is decoupled from the sort of cultural context of its day, because I I remember a few streams ago, we were talking about how, for instance, Catholicism in Germany is slightly different than Catholicism in Italy and Spain and radically different from Catholicism in Mexico. Same with orthodoxy. Orthodoxy in Russia it's is vastly different. different than Greece or any other place in the world. I, I heard Greece is like the most lib version of orthodoxy. Is that true? The Greek orthodoxy? I, depends on who you ask. I mean, you're yeah. going to get different yeah. in the same way that you would get different dioceses or different areas in the Catholic Church, I'd imagine. But I mean, you're there, Greek, there's or, been... Which orthodox church you go to? I, I'm with Greece? the OCA, so the Orthodox Church of America, which was granted autocephaly by the russians some time ago oh but, interesting uh, yeah but um right, because you have to push the the russia gate uh well, infiltration of the geo well it used to be for a really long time <laughs> the uh it was just under the russian aspect and i mean if you go to any rocor parish in new england for example mm. and i think even inside Pro washington dc you can go and find american flags inside the nave which is yeah. you know you would never see that anywhere else but it was always to 
you know, tell Americans or immigrants of the area that this is a, an American church. It's not part of the Soviet yeah. Union or anything like that. But I mean, there had that recent issue with a, uh, a Greek priest that had baptized uh, the children of two uh, of a homosexual couple, which oh, has yeah. caused its own kerfuffle. But uh, I mean, yeah, religion will be practiced differently elsewhere. And I think that that's sort of the interesting. And also, I think a beautiful aspect, though, of Christianity is, is that even though the gospel is, you know, eternal, that uh, how it's applied or how it's seen by various peoples is always different. I mean, even the styles and say Orthodox iconography are different. The Russian style is vastly different than the Greek. The Ethiopians have their own version, um, yeah. which is actually the most, it's a very easy way to get, I think, HBD pill very quickly, but. Um, oh, wow. Because yeah. the quality is very different. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but religion, I think, also, though, gets decoupled in a way and because it's no longer rooted to the times, uh, which makes things very interesting, I think, for Christians, because this is supposed to be a very eternal thing. I think Catholics are in a very interesting position. And correct me if I'm wrong, but like you have this church that is supposed to be officially, you know, the church, right? Like this mm -hmm. is this is the continuation of the church that was told to Peter upon my rock. You know, this is where I build it. And now it's sort of in this place where you do see other cultures, you know, have their own interpretations of it. But now in America, where people are so completely yeah. uh, atomized and detached from any semblance of meeting, that's where you got that famous New York Times article about weird Catholic Twitter. <sighs> and I mean, I, I find I can't it, believe I, Anna called Mecha Benald cute over me. I can't believe that. <laughs> can't believe, my hopes of being on Red Scare when they are dashed. Um, uh, but I mean, the, the thing that I find is, is that you'll, uh, that people will try and find meaning to it in a way yeah. that, uh, of course, can be viewed as transgressive or, uh, I mean, we see this a lot with like dime square Catholicism that everyone wants to pay attention to. <laughs> Wet brain slash dime square Catholicism. You know? Yeah. Which I mean, it... L listen, listen, if, Hon if Honor Levy wants to come on this show, I have no problem coming on show, you know, but, uh. I don't know. Does she have a BF? Probably. She has. Uh, well. Yeah. Well, you can you you can hopefully travel now, Geo. Isn't that the case? Yeah. That they, uh, after no the thirtieth, I think. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. On the thirtieth, uh, can... app. They got rid of it. Um, you can. Or what's uh... optional? I mean, I'm sure that the libs will use it as a status symbol, though. Oh, right? I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, um, but maybe though, you'll be able to to find yourself someone here in America. You know. Maybe. Who knows? Um, uh... <laughs> Maybe it'll be Honor Levy. Uh, no, I'm <laughs> I know she follows me on Twitter. But, uh, uh, yeah. So, but I mean, and this was the thing that um, actually I, I wrote an article in response to Default Friend about this because she had made a point that, you know, for a lot of people, religion these days can feel like a flash in the pan cultural moment. She had said, you know, what what is the difference between like, an E trad cath and a Bernie bro. And she says she doesn't see too much of a difference, mm. um, which mm -hmm. I actually gave a defense to our, our, our traditional Catholic friends on the internet where I had said, well, you know, maybe that's the case, but you know, Jesus Christ is a little more eternal than Bernie bros. I would hope so. Although some people treat Bernie like, uh, well, they do. I mean, yeah. a lot of people treat, and that's the thing though. This is my big critique though, against a lot of like secular political projects like that. Is is that, uh, depending on your translation you use, it's either 145 or 146 in the Psalter. It's like 
Well, what what's the first bit there about not putting your trust in princes or the sons of men? There's no salvation mm. in them. And so mm-hmm. when you treat all, and like it's the same thing about like waiting for Superman or waiting for Caesar, I think to some extent now that that conversation yeah. keeps happening in American politics, like you're trying to put your hopes on something or someone and not doing anything about yourself. You know, it's like that old, yeah. it's like that old saying about a guy that says God will save him. And then, you know, he, he rejects the guy on the rowboat, the helicopter, the, the coast guard, and then he drowns and he's like, well, you didn't save me. And he's like, well, I sent three people to help you. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just, I like, I saw that. And this is the best video that I think one, one of the better videos that the distributor has done where he's talking about like the grill pill and Chapo trap house. Cause Bernie lost, right, the primaries in 2020. And Matt Kreisman was basically trying to tell people to still believe on in the, the greater ideological project and things like that, uh, which was like an honest confession, I think, that, you know, well, you know, not one guy is going to change everything. I mean, that was a big lesson for, I think, everyone who was into Trump, too, in 2016, is that, you know, the more we watched him, you know, tweet his way or observe things or enact policy, it was just like, well... He's not, you know, the, we, we saw the full machinations of, you know, the, the deep state or the managerial regime or whatever term that you want to call it. And it's just like, well, you know, uh, it does illustrate that it will require you to do more than just to uh, sit on your ass and hope everything will be right. Like you have to be proactive about things. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, I think that's the one thing that is a big takeaway about deculturized people and de-atomized and deracinated people is, is that once you're completely uprooted, from your culture or belief system or anything again like uh borstein points out you're going to look for an alternate aesthetic vision and Mm -hmm. some people yeah get really interested in sort of the gothic designs of cathedrals some people are really into you know the aesthetic appeal of religion um which i mean great that's a great way to get interested but that's not why you should be there um that's why you don't explicitly go to church because oh you think it's based in red pills no you're supposed to go there to commune with god you're not supposed to you're not supposed uh, to be there because that's where all the cool red pilled people are i mean they're, they're, you'll naturally find them there but yeah it, it's just yeah. a weird place to be and i think culturally because you're, you're you're right everyone is now looking for ways to stand out and twitter even though it's got such a minority of users in terms of like, you know, the whole population media. Of, of the West, you know, um, the Twitter discourse today is the news chirons of tonight and tomorrow. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. all an interesting point for whatever yeah. gets talked about will be in, in, in city journal or wherever, you know, but I've gone on too bit of a rant that probably doesn't answer anything. No, I have to get to it. But what was that verse that you cited? Where, what, uh, I think it's, Depending on your translation, um, I think it's like 145 or 146. Uh, Trust not in princes and the sons of men, for in them is no salvation. Oh, of what book, though? Of the uh, Psalms. Oh, in the, the Psalms. Psalter. Yeah, okay. yeah, the Psalter. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, no, but I think you'd have to like look at that verse in context because there, because then I know like a lot of like, uh, weirdo like quasi heretical uh, christian anarchists would like look at that verse and they would say that like you have to have this like divine rejection of all worldly authority which i mean is kind of like ridiculous and like i mean like if you want to renounce the world and things like that or like the worldly aspect of life like that's what it's what a monastery is for buddy like if you want to be you know edgy anarchist or whatever then which I mean, a Christian anarchist sounds so ridiculously. Uh, well, you know, like Tolstoy. You know, like well, yeah. 
No, sorry, sure. not Tolstoy. Uh, Victor Hugo? Or, yeah, Victor Hugo. I was about to say, Tolstoy's War and Peace is meant to be far more... Yeah. It's more liberal than it was. No, would I be. got confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Vic, yeah Victor, Victor Hugo. Okay, yeah, you can see it in parts of Flame Is, but mm-hmm. even then, right, like... It seems to me, it just seems innately. I don't know enough to about them to give anything. It just sounds very contradictory. But but, you're, but you're, I think your king yeah. is not of this world, and uh, but he will return. And it's just but like, it's still a king, though. That's the thing. Like there, I think that the, there's a sort of funny relationship between worldly authority and the faith, like in both Catholicism and Orthodoxy. In Orthodoxy, it's actually much more explicit. Um, but I mean, there's verses to support. It. I mean, I don't think that it's to reject worldly authority, but rather that the true supreme authority is not of this world. Yeah. But in the meantime, there are, but people, treat I forget their, verses uh, where they say, about like Kings will aid the faith. At well, of course, of course. Yeah. But my, my, my point yeah. primarily being though, is, is that for people that do not have any sort of like teleological grounding or do not have a faith in something, right, like, you don't right. even have to be Christian to have faith. I mean, I, this is why the, the pagans that I do really have a lot of sincere respect for do have a, a pretty cogent belief system and I can mm, get where they're mm-hmm. coming from. And it's just like, you know, and I know plenty of people that I I've met IRL that are not Christians. Like I have a deep respect for a lot of Hindu people that, you know, follow their traditions adamantly and defend their faith against their views of, you know, Abrahamic influences on their religion, which, you know, more power to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the issue I find uh, interesting is that for those who don't have that higher sense of purpose or the oh i effing love science or like this is the only way forward is just the um here and now of it they i've noticed a tendency and it's not just bernie bros or anything like that boomer cons are just as susceptible to this mm. where you know they do treat the only form of like being rescued or delivered is by you know uh, earthly authority which i mean and a lot of essence, yeah, we're going to need leaders and we're going to need people to do it. I just think that we have to be very careful, I think, about not, you know, like the God Emperor meme, I get his totally 40K reference and all that jazz, but like, mm. he's not God. Uh, and uh, eventually he'll stop tweeting one day, you know, mm. just uh, I'm, I'm thinking out loud. I don't have. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> you're, you're, true. You're, no, you're putting, you're putting me on my on my feet here, which I sincerely appreciate. No, no, no. I don't mean to. But uh, no, what I mean is like, I, I think that. You, you mentioned, uh, just to address this point before we go into Borsina, about Catholicism, is that um, in, in America, it seems that Catholicism has gone through at least a partial, like, what would you say, Protestantization in some respects. And I feel that it, it's quite tricky because even like people, like, like for example, the whole thing about like LeBaste, uh Mexican Guadalupe nationalism stuff is kind of like, a misnomer because a there's a lot of like evangelicals that are like swooping those people up and b there are those of a percentage that have like a, a lot of like heretical like swan, san muerta type of uh beliefs that are not based and not trad um i mean trad maybe in the respect of like certain elements of central american indigenous culture but like in terms of the base tradcath no <laughs> very much not um but i think that this is what borstein's getting at in terms of the cultural context because his argument is that religion in the modern world whether it be isis or evangelicals and he's not making an equation he's not like some stupid lib making like a yalqaeda reference he's saying that even like traditional faiths 
in terms of the way that they interact with a globalized monoculture or lack thereof, let's call it non-culture, they are forced to posit universal truths that are above globalized culture. And therefore, they are just as much a product of deculturation than other forms such as what we would call, what he calls liberal kitsch, or I would call it neoliberal kitsch. Um, and so he's saying that a lot of these like Salafist faiths or like, you know, certain forms of Catholicism or especially Americanized Protestant evangelical revival faith, which is seeking somewhat of a, you know, a bit of a boost nowadays. He's saying that these people, they reject culture, whereas Catholicism and Orthodoxy and even Islam in the Arab Peninsula as opposed to Islam in Turkey and so forth, and Hinduism, uh, you know, in Hindu, in, I, when it comes to Hinduism, post Shankara, I can easily see how certain Abrahamic forms of monotheism can get involved in there. Uh, but it's been so many years since grad school, since I hardcore studied uh, Shankara and uh, Hinduism, Vedanta, uh, so on the grad level. Um, but when it comes to it, these faiths were just as much defined and shaped by their culture as anything else in their particularist context. But in the advent of globalization and neoliberalization, and we can get to the critique of the word neoliberal as well. Let's get to that. Because I know um, the Baposphere is very adverse to that term, very adverse to like the sort of dime square taking up of like Lash and to a lesser extent, Byung Chulhan and... Uh, but but even like when it comes to political faiths, he's saying that politics operates in a similar manner. I think he does mention the Bernie Bros and he mentions Trump. Uh, of course he does, you know, because this book I think uh, came out in 2019. And uh, even the content minded that came out yesterday, even uh, there's a great line that that uh, Zoomer Schopenhauer said, where he's like, you know, the problem with like Bernie and like Jeremy Corbyn and like these left ironists is that these guys are beautiful losers. They're like, oh man, they keep losing, but we love them. Like Ron Paul, to a little extent, was a beautiful loser. Because a lot of these people, like here's the thing. If you're a millennial, an older millennial, and you grew up in the Ron Paul days, right? The Ron Paul, like, yeah, watching InfoWars while smoking a bong and Ron Paul is on there. You went a few options. You went to the alt-right? Or like the minority of the minority became like, the patriotic socialist, like crypto reactionary. Like, here's the thing. Logo and Haas, they're just crypto conservatives. Let's face it. Um, but so if you were a Ron Paulite, you either went to like the Bernie bros, the Arnie bros, where you're like listening to Kushbaum Christman, or you became part of the alt-right and you like, you sort of went with the hairdo and other people, or you became like <laughs> some weirdo reactionary. But like the new age people that love Bernie, that, that sorry, that loved Ron Paul, they became Bernie bros. Other libertarians that loved Ron Paul, they went to the alt-right. They became racially conscious. And then a small minority went all the way around to a Hawesian patriotic socialism, which uh, maybe maybe Haas will start quoting uh, Jared Taylor quite soon. Who knows? But we'll see what happens. Um <laughs> I always love saying the hairdo, the GNC, the, 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 uh, yeah. the, uh, the, the general nutrition center. 
Oh man! Oh, Just go boy. to Bap's Telegram if you want to know what uh, GNC, GNC means. means. Yeah, <laughs> those are words that we cannot repeat. Here. Cannot repeat on YouTube ever. <laughs> uh, no, that's a uh, don't we love? This is the thing that I love about the right wing that's been going on for like just yeah. ever is, is that there's yeah. been constantly trying to find like a three letter a or acronym to explain everything. Um, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> it's we have our own marketing. Listen, don't, don't listen, go, go to her interview with Justin Murphy and don't tell me that honor Levy does not look good. Okay. <laughs> She's a very sweet, innocent chat who I can't, I can't even pretend. So, to. Someone's reading chat. Someone's <laughs> reading chat. Someone's um, but, reading the chat. <laughs> but uh, no, that's the thing. To, to get back to, to get back to the book, though. Um, yeah, yeah. You go ahead. Go ahead. I, I so, think well, what do you make of that argument, though? Like about the nature of religion? Yeah. Well, I mean, once it gets deculturated, or once it's uprooted from its, you know, its cultural right. grounding and understanding, I mean, it's prone to be constantly reiterating or reifying itself to mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. meet the audience and the times of the day uh and i think that that does come with significant problems and i don't think it's just um unique to christianity i think that as things continuously enter these you know sort of post-national economic zones and that's not yeah. and not just canada there are definitely parts of the united states that are like that especially in a lot of places like austin or New York, or, and I mean, you, you go to Austin, and I feel like, oh, you know, keep Austin weird. And it's like, I can go to Portland and feel the exact same way. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, but the the thing that I think is very interesting out of the book was this, you know, focus on hyperbole, which everyone has to be the uh, hyperbolically the same. And this is the, like, the chapter that the first one is about, you know, like, um, the, uh, the new aesthetics of, uh, no, not that. The the essay or the part about corporate excellence, which I thought was just really corporate good. excellence. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, corporate excellence is a new phenomenon. Virtue ethics, which goes back to Plato and Aristotle, examines the good together with a whole palette of virtues. While deontology spells out rules that are right, virtue ethics is part of a family of teleological ethics, uh, which de de uh, deontology is uh, most is most generally opposed and defines its values in view of an end or purpose, talos, to be achieved. What is good as opposed to what is right has to do with benefits. Also, utilitarianism belongs to teleological ethics. However, while utilitarianism wants the greatest amount of happiness for the greatest number of people, which it finds useful, uh, there is the other subgroup of teleological ethics, virtue ethics. But let me get down here. Therefore, the Aristotelian uh, arete can be translated not only as virtue, but also excellence or effectiveness. Since virtue ethics is very much dependent on the edumist theories about how to achieve individual happiness, the cultivation of moral excellence, virtue, has often been seen as an end to achieve happiness and to achieve it in the most effective way. The corporate world cannot, um, cannot have borrowed the term excellence from the tradition of virtue ethics. Classical moral ethical virtues used to spell out in the terms of concrete qualities such as courage, temperance, justice, and wisdom, or theological ones such as faith, hope, and love. Never has excellence been seen as an end to itself. It was always something needed to obtain in order to obtain concrete virtue. Mm. And I that I really liked that this whole passage um, because we say things are excellent. Uh, every university on earth with their pamphlets in America, they all say that they have something that's like world class or yeah. uh, you know the top program in the country. Well, every university's got the top program in the country, right? <laughs> uh, everyone wants to say that they're listed on the the top 100 of USA Today's best universities and colleges in America. To a point now where we are expecting 
are uh, this term excellence is left up to the uh, is left up to you, the individual. It's not left up to a, a specific cultural or political term. Because like mass culture has gotten to a point where there is no such thing as mass culture. And I know that that sounds like I'm being like out there with a hot take, but I mean, consider television in the past, right? Where, yeah, cable kind of changed things where like you had to pay for HBO if you really wanted to like get with the Sopranos or something like that. But I mean, you think about television shows like the how many viewers got to witness the end of the TV show friends, how many people tuned in for the series finale of uh, mash or how many millions. I think it was like, um, Uh, I mean, her friends, it was like, uh, I think mash had some 13 plus million people at the time. Yeah. Mash. There was also a blackout in California. So they had to like air it again. (laughs) Yeah. Something something like that. But I mean, it just illustrates that like, that has its own problems, mass culture in a lot of ways, but it was far more homogenous to where everyone was doing it. So now the alternate aesthetic of today is, is that we're supposed to put out good riveting television that meets the zeitgeist of today, which the zeitgeist mm-hmm. is whatever the elites put out. Which is euphoria, that, you know, or whatever. Euphoria, but I mean Ring also- Ring of power. But what do all those things are meant? The, the, the alternate aesthetic of today is this constant looking glass- of looking to the past forms of television and well, if we can hijack these things, then we can deconstruct what made them great, which typically yeah. means, you know, we get uh Kangs of powers, people like to say, or however, <laughs> you know, star Wars sequel or whatever just gets continuously more and more shit uh, to where, you know, it's like that whole rich Evans and Mike's the class a bit where, aren't you glad that you're growing up to see all the things that, you know, your, your favorite franchises go to shit. And, you know, it's so great, Rich. It's so yeah. great. Um, but it's funny though, because he equates, um, which we'll get into later. He equates a uh, bullshit or BS um, with uh catch in the sense that they both, it's not that they're creating, um, uh, it's not that they're creating a false reality. They're creating a reality that is enclosed that could potentially be real, right? Like a good well, con yeah. man, a good BSer can create a picture that is plausible to the real, but is not the real. Logo Dallas can create a picture for you. And he's done this to me on stream where you he can create an argument about Z Ping and Huang Nu and, uh, you know, Ron Paul Maoism that can kind of be like, you know what? That's kind of real, but it's not real. It's a facsimile of the real. A good con man can create a picture that may not be real, but is akin or a adjunct to the real. That is the difference. And that is what kitsch is to, to aesthetics and to cultural expression. So I wanted to tackle this equation of um, equating culture with truth. But before we get into that, excellence culture. In the beginning of the book, he talks about how kitsch the reason it proliferates in the modern world is because of excellence culture. So here he's equating corporatization of life, the politicization of everything and aesthetics. So corporate aesthetics, like illustration and, and what we're seeing with AI and all that stuff, that is a model of excellence culture because it gets right at the heart of this sort of false sentimentality that delivers a message in the most efficient manner. Corporate design is all about that. It's all about delivering you into how can I, with the least possible effort, 
have the most impact in terms of selling you something. That is excellence culture. So Byung Chul Han in his chapter, he called it um, the difference between what he called the biopolitical self, which is, you know, Michel Foucault, and what he called the entrepreneurial self in, in psychopolitics, meaning that you sell yourself as an individual and you give up your information. Everyone becomes an entrepreneur of their own brand identity. That's what oh, Byung yeah. Chul Han is saying. So he's saying that excellence culture, uh, uh, Bots Borstein is saying that excellence culture works in a similar manner. It is the marketization of yourself. But beyond that, it is creating this picture of the perfect being that is efficiency maxed. But I noticed the, the, the sort of, um, he, he takes great pains, which I think is very helpful. And in fact, is very good if, say, you're someone like Bronze Age Pervert, you're in that sort of sphere is that Greek excellence is something wholly different. It is virtue ethics. It is, you know, as we know, arete, which is excellence through competition, through testing, through the mutual engagement of trying to arrive at the perfection of the self through competition with the other, right? Well, yeah, your, yeah. We can, we can, the next section of that uh, passage is perfect for it. He says, yeah. the other important difference between corporate excellence and Greek excellence, yeah. though virtue ethics is normative, it never speaks uh, of values as absolutes, but merely indicates what it, uh, it believes to be desirable in certain situations. Plato and Aristotle dealt with values uh, factually, which means that for them, a value could never become a rule. In other words, right. classical virtue ethics integrates cultural components and its evaluation processes, which has an, import, uh, an important impact on the definitions of values. Um, and that's a good point there on, on virtue ethics, whereas in the corporate world, this cultural content is not discussed. Being efficient is the only right thing to do. The rule mm -hmm. of efficacy is implemented by means of evaluation or other technical exercises. In the corporate world, excellence is unrelated to cultural values, while for Aristotle, concrete virtues like generosity or honesty were supposed to become character traits. Can corporate excellence become a character trait? Obviously not. Right. I just Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Very glad that they went, he went out of his way to, to, to clear these things up. Because, because excellence is denontological. Like it, it's in the Kantian tradition. It's the maxim. It's the rule. It's the universal that transcends culture because Aristotle in some ways, even though he sort of Heidegger would say he still fails in terms of traditional metaphysics, but he says that, you know, there's still a little bit of the pre-Socratics in Aristotle, the latest development of, of Socratic philosophy in that there is an element of becoming. There is the sort of, not the universal inherent in it, but there is the becoming to the universal. There is the the seed, and the egg corn in the tree, right? Whereas with Plato, like the universal is in the particular already, even if it's just a facsimile of the universal, it's an imperfect mold of it. Um, with Aristotle, however, it's still the element of becoming to get to that perfection. And in Aristotle, if you look at the Nicomachean ethics, it is culturally conditioned in that every society has their own view of what the perfect being is, has their own view of what phronesis is, of that flourishing, eudaimonia, right? Like eudaimonia is not just happiness, what we understand to be this like utilitarian pleasure maxing. Eudaimonia is the happiness of an excellent and flourishing being, but that can only be conditioned within society. And he was talking about Athenian Greek society where certain people like women and slaves did not have rights for a very specific reason. Um, you know, so not to say I'm justifying it, maybe unless, but uh, 
but he's saying that, you know, Aristotle, there is this element of phronesis that is very much culturally conditioned. And Greek excellence recognizes that the culture of a society informs that being that can flourish, right? But if you don't have that, you have this universal denontological thing where the maxim of excellence is always forever and will always become, and corporations will always pursue this, even in the realm of art and aesthetics. This excellence culture has to prevail. Hence why humans of flat design becomes like the archetype of the new man. It is universalizable. There's no cultural contents that can get in the way of the message. You can sell it to everybody. You know, like, like there is this one, um, there was this one documentary, I think it was uh, some of like metal music throughout the world, like in the global South. And this one guy was saying how in India, Bollywood music, like really old people, really young people enjoy it, you know, everyone in between and how that, and notice how Hollywood is taking Bollywood. And, and there was a time period in the 2010s where they tried to do this, where it's like, really, they tried to like, give you that sort of flavor of Bollywood, right? But but let's examine that for a moment, right? When you have a music culture that is for everyone in that society or for everyone in general, you yeah. know, everyone can look at a Marvel movie and see a Hans Zimmer, you know, soundtrack. Then that becomes part of excellence culture. That is gutting it of its cultural context. So I, I don't know if you had any more. Uh, well, no, I mean, you're, you, there's a yeah. point there to be made, I think, in, in in three areas. The first one, I'll just get off the bat with like the Hans Zimmer thing. Like yeah. every movie trailer has the expected sort of kind of bit and all of it now. Like it, it's it's yeah. become the standard to where, yeah. you know, uh, and I, I, I was just watching Ad Astra the earlier this Oh, week. God, Ad Astra, uh, yeah, yeah. And, but like even the music in there, you know, it was... I felt like, okay, there are bits out of here that feel like out of um, Interstellar. And, you know, I just feel like there's, I, I could feel this sort of like emotional string bits of music here and there. I'm like, okay, so like when we're in space, the standard has been set, right? You know, you have to sound like Hans Zimmer. You have to sound like, you know, that it's no longer the big orchestral ensembles of like 2001 A Space Odyssey or anything like that. Yeah. The, the, the excellent standard has been set. Um, the, the point too, but that's is, what is that, Scruton said as well. He mentioned Scruton, how Scruton says that it's false emotion that makes kitsch and that's yeah. Hans Zimmer to a T. I Absolutely. To but, but go uh, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. But yeah, no, that's the, that was going to be the next part. Cause Scruton yeah. gets mentioned a lot in here. It's just, is that, um, you know, be beauty dies For, when it, it yeah. stops being like authentic and what it wants to tell you. And so it's trying to tell you what you feel. Um, yeah. And I, we see this all the time now with what's being beaten over the heads in regards to art. You're, you're supposed to either enjoy the transgression, you're supposed to enjoy the moment. You see this a lot in Marvel movies where um, it most, and I mean, you know, I'm not one to watch that stuff, but I mean, I, I will watch the critical drinker and, you know, where he, he's talking about, well, like you're supposed to have all this emotional, you know, bits where I'm just a girl is playing and like, you know, all of a sudden I'm supposed to really give a shit that she's like, you know, beating these CGI monsters up or whatever, you know, like yeah. I feel no emotional connection to it, but you're forcing me to feel something. And ergo, like any semblance for me to, to appreciate the. Did you see those Twitter clips of the Kang of power where uh, the girl, the, the blonde woman is fighting men and. No. Yeah. You didn't no. see that from the Lord no. of the Rings? Like the, the Amazon show or yeah. the no, Amazon I show. Not. Um, Where she okay, I, this blonde woman is fighting men by the dozen like it's the Matrix. Um oh. Yeah. The other thing though I was gonna also say is is that 
I think with Netflix, you're you're also in a position where you can bridge the the Bollywood gap now. What what was that mm. movie that was I? It's like R R R or whatever. Um, oh yeah yeah. And it, people are saying like this is the greatest movie you've never seen or whatever. And it's I always find that funny because it's sold to Westerners and like you know demographically speaking well like you know like my country is 330 million people and that's mainly due to you know all sorts of stuff but it's the most populous western country whereas you know india's got like 1.3 billion people yeah. you know right <laughs> it's always you know what's funny is that canada actually started this trend did you know that no that I did uh, not. canada we had bollywood movies that were set in canada but there were like kind of like indie films. Like there was this one called Bollywood Hollywood. I think that was what it was called. And I know, and I remember watching it like long, long time ago. I remember it actually gave a nod to uh, the Adam McGowan film Exotica. Cause the woman had a Exotica poster in her room. And like, it was sort of like, so Canada, like many other instances started a lot of like the culture war issues over multiculturalism. And in <laughs> fact, when it comes to music soundtracks, the only time I think that Canada did multiculturalism kind of right was like the mid nineties. You had um, composers like Adam, um, who worked with Adam McGowan, uh, Michael Dana, the composer who did all of his uh, films actually he did the soundtrack for like a lot of other popular Indian or like um, semi Indian based films. Like uh, he did the soundtrack for life of Pi. He did the soundtrack for water, which is really, well, he, him and, um, and uh, what's the guy's name? Ra. Um, Armand Rai, forget his name, the famous Indian composer, did the soundtrack for Water, which became a monumental film in the trilogy of that that films. Um, so Michael Danny, he, you know, for example, the Exotica soundtrack or the soundtrack he did for Eight Millimeter with Nicolas Cage was yeah. like this world music where he had like Berber music, he had like uh, different, um, you know, instruments from around the globe, and it was this sort of panacea where it's sort of like that time in the 1990s where multiculturalism was like kind of like you could still explore different cultures, but you weren't robbing them blind completely. You know, that came much later, you know? Uh, so, but then what happened was when it came to Hollywood, the experimentation with the audio landscape became so flattened, so Hans Zimmerish that it's like, you know, every, every epic Marvel movie has the big orchestral moment. Like, you know, I, I even I, maybe anime probably has kitschy elements to it, but not nearly to the extent, in my opinion. Like they do have like you know the the tropes, like the Tsundiris, the you well, know, maybe the Isekai format probably yeah. is definitely the most kitsch yeah. out of all of them. But yeah, like any, uh, every shonen has like that, you know, yeah, hero's the, journey. But they become they, yeah. That was what to say. Like the hero's journey has become the most. And that's part of, I think, excellence culture. Everything has to fit a metric. Everything has to fit <laughs> yeah, a, a formula. Yeah. Everything has to have the mandated, okay, according to, like, you know, the hero with a thousand faces, like, the hero hits this point here, and so we're going to put that in the movie. Yeah. Or, um, and I mean, uh, that everything has to meet standards or ethics. And any, and I mean, we're, you, the, the, again, that, that culture of narcissism also fits in with this corporate excellence sense of yeah. ethics, because... What do we have to do? Well, we have to make sure that we don't say anything ridiculously spicy in the first 30 seconds. If we're monetized, we don't want to, um, we may want to make sure that things are categorized correctly. We want to make sure that we're meeting our standards, that we have growth for mm -hmm. ourselves. And it's very funny because I got advice very, very early on that, which was told, 
um, to treat, you know, whatever you do on the internet, whether it's like Twitter posting or Substack or YouTube. And he says, you should treat it like a job. And yeah. You, yeah. And I was like, well, I, it, on one hand, that's good advice because you should treat it like a job. But on the another other hand, hand like, it robs something. It robs of, you, of your yeah. desire to just do whatever you want. Because then you'll right. get other... I remember, I think, uh, Clossington had told me uh, uh, not too long ago, he says, well, the same, I'm going to give you the same advice Endeavor gave me. He says, don't read your, like, don't, you know, don't go, you know, neurotically insane over metrics and don't feel too bad about the comment section. You'll know feedback when you get it. And he's like, okay, yeah, I don't do any of those things. I, I do check analytics and comments sometimes. And it's just like, yeah, that corporate culture of excellence and making sure that you're giving the best thing. I mean, even today, right, it'll be we, we have conversations about like production quality or video introductions or what kind of music to use. And it's just it's all there. Mm. And, uh, you know, yeah, we're, I don't we're care about any of those things. That's the problem. <laughs> maybe I should <laughs> find an editor. I would. But maybe that's editor. the but maybe that's for the best, because in, in some ways you're you're rejecting you know, excellence culture to just say, well, no, I'm here because I want to give a more authentic message. And to me, I think that that's the big chunk of why every big, like whatever your niche interest is, there's always like one channel in there that's got like a million subs that acts like it's the corner of the market or whatever. And everyone tries to emulate that and make clones, you know, like I really cannot stand the fact that like, if, if you like guns or like you, you enjoy like gun YouTubers or whatever, like you, you have people like, you know, Brandon Herrera or Demolition Ranch or um, Grand Thumb. And it's all this same disgusting corporate black rifle coffee company slop of just like dude bros getting excited over fire. Yeah, I can't I can't watch uh, that ranch. What's his name? Demolition Ranch. Yeah, it's like eh. I care about Brandon Herrera or whatever. It's just like that's not why I'm interested in firearms. And yet you treat them like this cool marketable object which i think if anything you're just giving shit libs even more reason to yeah. hate gun culture and it's just demolition ranch base though i wonder if he's ba he seems i don't know i don't maybe. know i i i probably voted for trump i guess the other well maybe i mean the other channels you know i i see the black rifle coffee company sponsorship and i'm like this <laughs> isn't for this isn't for me obviously <laughs> right this is for this is for your normie con. They buy the masculinity loot crates like that has. Well, yeah, like, right. Uh, the just... the trimmer for your ball hair and. Like... Yeah, yeah, this video is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company and Manscaped <laughs> or whatever. Oh, um, Manscaped, and yeah. And this yeah. isn't to insult anyone who watches that stuff. It's just to me, I just see it and it adds to the fact about how decultured we are. And I, I use the term. One time in a Martin, I called it Mandalorian masculinity. <laughs> like, I lost my shit. like what Mandalorian masculinity, uh, you know, um, but it, it's, it's this or, or microplastic masculinity or whatever. I, I love all these terms, microplastic but, masculinity. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, you know, but it, it, instead we get again, this corporatized monetized Reagan uh, Lodge, sort of, cool guy, beard, bro thing, man. Oh, I bet. I'm glad Reagan Lodge is watching. Cause like, he's got like, I don't know how he finds time. My, I'm hoping my, my, my favorite gun. I'm hoping he's illustrating while he's listening to this. Cause it's like, yeah. Over I don't know how the man does it. Like, holy crap. So, I mean, that's just basically like Hickok 45 and he's like the most wholesome gun. Yeah. No, he's the best one. Cause I think like he has the good, like mix of analysis, but also shooting, which everyone wants. Like that's, yeah. you know, like, but he doesn't like pretend to do like the, 
back when FSP Russia was a thing or like yes Russia oh man what a yeah. what an older vanished time yeah yeah uh, or even like what Demolition Ranch does where it's like ridiculous over the top like trying to up the ante like that's well that's why I my think, two my yeah. two favorite people are him for for guns I love Hickok forty five and I really love just Ian McCollum of Forgotten Weapons everyone calls yeah him, you know, gun Jesus but it's just like I get to I get to be my autistic self gets to enjoy the history of a firearm. Oh, at the same time, it's just that raw masculine ego is just like, yes, go fire guns and shoot things because it's fucking I, great. I forget, <laughs> is uh, is uh, Forgotten Weapons, is he secretly based or secretly cringe? I forget what people were saying. I, I don't, think he's I, based. I don't yeah. know. I mean, he's he's written, he's got a great collection of books. This is what he gets to do for a living. I mean... Mm. I, yeah. I think that if you're naturally drawn to firearms, unless you're trying to be like one of those like Weirdo. lefty bros that yeah. don't I mean, lift all you want, Bernie bros. It just makes you right wing in the end. Um, yeah, so the I, lefty Bernie bro is quite a, like, uh, something about it just rubs me the wrong way. I don't know. Like, the, the just, you know, the, the, yeah. the Jim bro leftist. It's like, okay. And even then when the Jim bro leftist wants to come out and post about why it's important to be Jim bro leftist so they can, like, you know, smash the fash or whatever. Yeah. Everyone's, like, tweeting at them, like, hey, man, didn't you know that, like, personal health and wellness is actually fascist? And it's just, <laughs> yeah. like, we live in such a... We live in such a time where... Um, not just like they, their idea of self-care of course is just like poisoning themselves and paying 150 dollars an hour to make them even more liberal whereas like the real essence of self-care is like well your mind body and soul and you guys don't work out you don't really believe in anything it's just it's it's dysgenic it's a mystery cult of power for the few but for the rest of them it's like this dysgenic death cult that makes them want to um you know feel like they have power like i'm owning the chuds i pressed the three dots on the right of someone's tweet and i reported it meanwhile you know it's like damn bitch you live like this and it's just really yeah. depressing i uh, think like anything you could say about like right-wing bodybuilders you could probably like the real truth is that the like the jim bro bernie like the jim bro leftist is probably like fits that sort of like cult of power because the, but it's much more of like a feminine reaction thing in that I have to work myself out because the fasher, like the, the, you know, fun squad, the fun squads, the right wing fun squads are like around the corner and they're going to yeah, like right, right, right wing friend squads. Yeah. The right wing friend squads are going to, you know, whatever Vouch says is going to happen next two years. It's going to like the, I think like th this is, and this is what Boris is getting at is that yeah. the sort of like the cultic nature of power in, in politics is sort of like derooted from any like, particular cultural context for a reason because now you could like not just it and and i guess let's get in the criticism of the term that he uses like that it's neoliberalism as a driving force so his equation in deculturation is that the sort of right liberal version is like very much market orientated fundamentalism which is yeah. like the market can do no wrong and that neoliberalism is like the sort of like marketization of all life and i understand why like you know, Bap goes into this a lot. He goes, he went into this with Zero H. Lovecraft, our good friend on, on Caribbean Rhythms. How like, and even my friend Martin talks about this, where you're not doing yourself any favors by like entertaining leftoid ideas that are, talk about like neoliberalism and the culture critique and blah, blah, blah. Like, I understand that argument, but I think that it does still have power. And so I'm controversial in that respect. So Butts Borstein says like, that's the right side of it. 
the left liberal side is like political correctness and like turning all life into gray goo gruel, microplastic yeah. gruel <laughs> into like this, you know, super and, and turning them into the humans of flat design. Literally, literally. Yeah. Yeah. And so he says that they combine forces and to make like the worst possible of all worlds. It's like, not only are you economically and financially depressed, but you are like culturally alienated and like totally out of my, like, I understand, like, I, in, in fact, I said this in the last um, episode of me covering Byung Chul Han, where I said that, you know, I partially agree with the BAP sort of like more older right wing argument that to always talk about like, oh, we're alienated, we're oppressed, blah, 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 like, we're like, you know, we're objected from culture, blah, 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 that that just plays into like new left hands. But I would say that the main disagreement that I outlined that I'm, I will put this clip on YouTube, by the way, I'm going to, as an advertisement, uh, I have to get back to doing clips, by the way, I have been lazy about that. Um, the BAP side, the argument is that there are forces that are actively oppressing us rather than alienating us. So it's not that we're abandoned to culture. It's that the culture that they want is against us as largely European men, right? Like, so I understand that point, but then the sort of post-left embrace of thinkers like Christopher Lash and Byung-Chul Han says that, no, it's rather that these discourses that have developed over time, that they have purposefully alienated us in the sense that the, we are rejected from culture. So it's like, that's the fundamental disagreement right there, is yeah. that one is saying that you are actively being oppressed, the other is saying you are being actively abandoned to this thing called culture. So, I don't know. I mean, I know you lean probably proved more towards the, I we're being that. actively oppressed or, yeah. I, it's I, hard well, to I mean, say. It's, no, well, yeah, no, makes it's, a convincing hard, argument. It, it's I hard to say. say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he does. Yeah. That's, that's one big part of it is that he does make an excellent, I think it's a synthesis of both. And I know that that sounds like a cop yeah. out, but, but hear me it out. It does, but I, I agree 100%. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. And the reason why is, is that they're, the the culture that they have politically <laughs> mega, mega communism yeah we'll talk about that in a bit but um oh like, by the way walrus you dm me i i will read your dm my friend i'm very sorry um a oh, walrus is great um, yeah oh look at this great. if aestheticize if aesthetics right. are indefend indivisible from politics black rifle coffee conservatism just like barstool conservatism is dead and it doesn't have a stuff take on the ga <laughs> yeah well, barstool yeah. Barstool not having the stuff to take on the GNC. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> oh no, no. I'm sure, I'm sure, like a dude, bro, that, uh, you know, uh, never mind. I'm not, I'm just, I'm <laughs> I distracted uh, you, Proof. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, just like, I think Barstool conservatism or whatever can speak for itself, you know. Um, yeah. it's like, it's like what Biden said, watch me, you know. Yeah. Um, but no, I, the, the reason why I say this is that I think it's a, a mixture of one, you are both being currently abandoned and two, you are current, you're also being currently oppressed. I think by it's a also monoculture that hates by a, you. by a monoculture that hates you. I yeah. think it's, uh, I think the debate around it feels kind of like chicken or the egg because like both yeah. are concurrently happening. Yeah. Uh, for instance, the, the current ruling ideology operates in a very postmodern way of constant deconstruction. A yeah. constant yeah. 
historical revisionism in order to make it. This is where Yarvin gets that concept of the two-story state. And I don't know where he really, he, he rips it from. But I mean, you have these two concurrent narratives that are probably running at the Burnham, same time. Probably Burnham, I think that was Probably, the, probably yeah. Burnham. I mean, so that means really like old school Trotskyism. But, yeah. uh, you know, there's this position that the old narrative, the singular narrative that America is a country and a nation of white European settlers that made something out of nothing and created, you yeah. know, this immense, uh, vast land into like the gleaming civilization of the new world. That old narrative has been looked at. And then now due to both by nature of changing demographics, uh, various coalitions and wealth, a market incentive to change it or to hijack it. Uh, you now have this new emerging monoculture where at the same time, that old narrative has to be deconstructed, hence the oppression. Um, but yeah. at the same time, um, we can't let them have any stake in it. This is why you see constantly, time and time again, in the pop culture and in films and in movies, that where there is white male protagonists, they are always the sacrificial lamb. You yeah. are being sacrificed so that the new culture can emerge and it can be diverse and equitable and charitable to where you don't exist. And so I think that no, but even when the white man is a hero, like in Elysium, he's sacrificing. Well, that's for what I mean. The whether multicultural, it's blood, whether it's yeah. Blood Diamond or it was like the Last Jedi or whatever, yeah. there's always going to be your principal hero of yesteryear that the yeah. audience of like primarily European people are going to love and attach themselves to, and so that is sacrificed upon the altar to birth this new monoculture. Even and Harrison so, Ford's character in the new Star Wars that when he died, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. all for yeah. it, all for it. And so you're you are being <laughs> it's like abandoned. they're sacrificing for like Giga Favela Longhouse World. You're being sacrificed and given uh Funko Pop masculinity as a treat. Um, your sacrifice is appreciated. Now go, please enjoy our receptacle, you know, cummies and Funko Pops at the end of it. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think that for, and again, this is why I've said for time and time again, what is the white or what is the positive progressive role model for white men? There isn't one. There yeah. isn't one. I don't care what you say about any of the last of the straight, his, cis white males of the left. There's no positive role model for them. You have to be neurodivergent. You have to be non-binary. You have to put on lipstick and like, or publicly announce your transition because there isn't one for you. The monoculture appropriate certain, want you. But they'll appropriate certain like markers of uh, masculinity. I know I'm pissing people off here, but <laughs> the Irish have really been hardest hit when it comes to the left in America, like appropriating their sort of like Bostonite, like, Ma like pseudo masculine affectation like that whole speech from dropkick murphy was like the best example <laughs> yeah and like i know it pissed a lot of people off when the queen died saying that like the irish are now part of like the wholesome chungus nation nationalisms that they can give you like the blue yellow country or like palestinians or um like you know what i mean like th that's sort of like uh the the affectation of masculinity is still like somewhat appropriated just to get the sort of millennials who straight off the plantation that voted for Trump, like to get them back into like, well, like it, it's like the question of like why these irony bros love the Sopranos so much. And Hey, like I like the Sopranos too. Like I love the Sopranos, but like they're fascinated with like early Simpsons, the Sopranos, because a certain forum that we can't help but mention um, <laughs> said that the reason is because the early two thousands and the mid two thousands was like a time where, you could have humor and motifs that were very right wing that had to deal with like race and sexuality, 
but always had left-wing conclusions. Sopranos is the masters of this. Um, when Tony Soprano def defrauded HUD, um, to and he got like his you know black friend to like send urban youths at the place, right? And even though a corrupt tribal member politician was involved, the conclusion is always that they're exploiting the poor, like third, you know, the poor migrant or black population that needs more money for the programs. Like that's, it wasn't that you had like, you know, ethno narcissism willing to exploit that situation. No, it's like that. It's like the conservative or like explicitly right wing motif, but with the left wing conclusion. So it's like someone said this in the reply to my tweet. It was on Forest Symbols, who I will have content minded one day. Uh, like he asked us, like, why do they love The Sopranos so much? And I said, like, you know, it's because it's like conservative prop left wing conclusion, right? Follows from the anti what's that formal logic? Um, proposition follows the conclusion follows the proposition, right? Yeah. And so someone replied in my tweet. I don't know if he got banned for it. Back in like the day in 2008, you could say the gamer word and still vote for, but of course he said the full yeah. hard R. You could say the hard R, but still vote for Obama. That is the essence of the something awful Arnie bro. <laughs> like that, you know, they all, and the something awful, they all were posting hard R's, but they voted for Obama. So it's like, you know, like they want that's the paradise that is the chapel trapos paradise is 2007 okay it, like you want your you want your modern warfare 2 lobby but you're you know yeah but you're trans <laughs> uh whatever is yeah you know, yeah you know i guess in your line of work uh, you get a lot of gays and uh, trans whatever's you know? <laughs> <laughs> i love that line from tony super but you know what's funny I, I i thought about tweeting about this where i said that I love Sopranos references and I love early Simpsons references and posting reaction images. It's like something along the way could have been tweaked where I could have ended up like a left irony cell. Like I could have been like Polish excellence or whoever. <laughs> <laughs> I could have been like uh DKL Marxist or Polish. Excellence. I shouldn't even mention, cause I'm like literally just giving them air. I shouldn't even mention, that, but like, you know, um, they all make fun of my photo from 2014, by the way, where I'm, you know. I've seen that get memed quite a few times now, yeah. <laughs> look, look, take the screen cap. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. There you go. Uh, take the screen cap. Compare the two. This is 2022, and that's in 2014. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that, let's move that, on let's move on <laughs> that, that is some real uh niche e-celeb problems right there yeah i know eh? <laughs> like holy crap <laughs> oh <my. laughs> okay okay i had i had my fun let's get back to this here let's get back to that i see i have another super chat as well by uh george uh, george george sick i love that name George, George is a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Chapo but, uh, Trap House Paradise. <laughs> the 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 uh, Chapo Trap House Paradise is uh, getting to scream the gamer word uh, in your no, modern but warfare you, you have to tweet that. 
about the yeah you get your you get oh your, no uh, I, I said you can remake modern warfare all you want it won't ever take back all the times you said the gamer word in the lobbies in 2007 oh um, man yeah <laughs> because you're gonna that, that's the thing about oh. gamer culture i guess is is that um and this is the this is your your perfect example of gamergate before and after is is that i can distinctly remember 2007 in halo 3 and modern warfare 2 lobbies of just people uh slurring and screaming and all that sorts of stuff oh yeah well, or modern warfare came the out little kids yelling that the little kids yelling and everyone telling that squeaker to shut the hell up and all that yeah. jazz um to whereas nowadays there's really none of that really anywhere i mean there are a few places that still do but i mean it's been so uh changed from the culture of like guys just being dudes you know that sort of yeah. old meme there and it's and the reason why though is because of course that the it's been uprooted to be something else i mean all it took was you know five guys burgers and fries to change things <laughs> And here we are, uh, where now gaming culture, your best franchises from the 2000s are all but dead. And we're going to constantly remake the greats because every They're time They're remaking Vice City now, by the way. Eh? Yeah, Apparently. well, I mean, they, they tried to remake San Andreas and it was fucking awful. And oh, so uh, it's like what you had mentioned, uh, uh, you know, like the, the facsimile of what were these cultural icons because that's yeah. all that we can do because now it's a part of a monoculture that we can't do. And, uh, you know, I, I can't wait to see what the next Grand Theft Auto is going to look like because... That's always been a transgression. Apparently, it's modern Vice City, there, but with oh, a black okay. woman. Now. Okay. Oh, so well, yeah. there, there you go. Um, and now it's just Philip Daniel. Cricket flower eating. Cricket, cricket flower eating. And oil and draw giants don't deserve a sick. But it's not like the the sort of Palatian the symbolist painter and draw giants. It's, it's something uh, entirely more demonic, but uh, let me read you a passage. This is from the, I believe excellence chapter from, uh, from deculturation about America. Okay. So he's saying that all of America embraces the idea of educate, sorry, excuse me, education. Today's university's knowledge is globalized. And he's saying that the right wing, uh, this sort of goes, but, but you know, this is all, what, what I found it open in another tab. I said what page so I could read along. Oh, this is page uh page 24. Uh 20 okay. yeah, 23, 24. Yeah. And so um this is about education, how all of America embraces education for a reason. So like the right wing embraces sort of like the technical like stem cell sort of thing. The left wing it's like of course education becomes they they both consent to the market orientation of education right with yeah. all these studies fields and sociology they're all just like rich kids buying time in their adolescence like to extend adolescence more or less you know and i'm saying this as a grad student so you know what i mean like i've been to grad school so take my word for it but you know it's funny because scott greer he's sort of um as someone on the right he sort of complicates that by saying that you know maybe right wingers can't abandon higher education which i agree with him by the way Pretty to sure. a little bit of an extent but i don't know Wait, we were going to say prude? Oh, I, I simply said, no, we shouldn't abandon it. Yeah, yeah. You, oh, you were talking about this with Patrick Casey last night. So, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We we were just simply saying, like, you really can't um, yeah. have everyone abandon it. Like, you need to be, you need to make yourself useful. And if that requires yeah. higher education, then you should do it. But even, like, stuff that is, is like, entirely mercenary, like being a lawyer, like, he, 
he brought up a good point about he's saying like to be a lawyer even is not enough. Like I know for example, here in Canada, um, you know how uh, for indigenous people, education is free. So what do they do? They just send them to law school when they, after university to like work out land claims. I'm sure they do that in America as well. Probably the tribal um, councils, right? Well, yeah, we have the Bureau of Indian Affairs and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You still call it Indian Affairs? Last I checked, the name hasn't changed. God bless America. <laughs> That's like totally like again. It's literally illegal in, in Canada. If I, like some know, government person to, to be a complete Anglo Anglo chauvinist for one minute, and I'm yeah. definitely going to get in trouble for saying this. These, you know, you, you want to see proof of what you know why they try and keep you know white European men down is just look at the state of how Native Americans and their reservations are doing. Oh <laughs> man, oh it's terrible. Even like you know what's funny though is that. In, not funny i mean funny in a tragic way in canada you have reservations that are technically quite rich that still live like third world countries i wonder what <laughs> i wonder what corruption's happening there but uh but of course you know, <laughs> the first thing i hate to see i hate to bring this up before i read this quote the absolute first thing that trudeau did when he got elected and i think um 2015 was getting rid of Stephen Harper's Accountability Act when it came to the funding of reservations. I wonder why. I wonder if that was buying votes or not from certain tribal chiefs. Oh, I wonder. Who, uh, I wonder if it made it easier to just make up bullshit claims about schools. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. That yeah. That 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 is another thing. But also, it's to buy votes from these tribal councils. That a lot of a lot of these. And here's the thing: a lot of indigenous people in Canada they're they're not happy with Justin Trudeau's performance. Put it that way. Um, he gave them a bone with the residential school thing. But when it comes to like, I know, and listen, I know I sound like a post leftist when it comes to the material conditions of uh, conditions, uh, 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 you know, when it comes to the material conditions of indigenous people in Canada, um, not doing too good, not doing too good. Um, so this is a quote. This is, um, American society's contractual community and the establishment of American culture could not be seen as the end of education. As a result, the only value permitted becomes a neoliberal notion of excellence. To be excellent means to be efficient, but it is left open what concrete values this efficiency is supposed to establish. In America writes readings, the idea of the nation is always already an abstraction, and excellence can thus most easily gain ground. Christopher Lash describes the liberal break with parochial ethical traditions as Americanization, explaining that the excellence culture of corporate capitalism has, quote, replaced character building with permissiveness, the cure of souls with the cure of the psyche, blind justice with therapeutic justice, philosophy with social science, personal authority with an equal irrational authority of professional excellence and experts. This phenomenon is not limited to America, but according to Brian Turner, quote, the tension between universalism and nationalism was always present at the university, made the university a creator of national language and culture has been vitated, um, vitated by the globalization, by the globalization of knowledge and the university. So now the university itself, which was at the founding of American life, instantiating American culture becomes universalized. But what, but what Christopher Lash says, like, think of it this way. 
no longer is it informing the soul. It's the psyche, you know, sort of the psychotherapeutic state. No longer is it about, you know, national um, instantiation of national values. Now it's sort of like this globalized thing. So, but I find it funny because even right-wing discourse and ext the extent of like conserva boomers mimic this where it's like, you know, no longer we fighting for the unique instanti instantiation of cultural knowledge. Now it's like, just go to a STEM field that is by definition um, post-national in the sense that it's like this hyper-logical, like universalized knowledge base. So I don't know, you, have, you probably have a lot of thoughts about that. Right? Well, yeah, no, I, I, I constantly think about how there's this sort of uh, new age, yet also at the same time, esoteric mysticism behind yeah. Um, mathematics you know you see this a lot in popular culture you see this a lot when you get a lot of like prep speeches about why you should uh, study stem and all that yeah you know like it's a it's a math is the universal language everyone can understand ones and zeros and everything like that which again it, it's innately true unless you come right. from a culture that has no complete concept of numbers but even then if you're going to a university system not even that, numerals you know <laughs> Um, yeah yeah uh but i mean that's the that that illustrates i think the universality to it is the language that you're using is technically universal i mean to yeah. a point where in our own rationalization and a ways to be efficient our ideas of communicating with extraterrestrial life is like you know where numbers and things like that and yeah yeah the sagan uh the space um, yeah all the, the golden viking what's it called like that uh voyager yeah. one and two Voyager um, one and two yeah. Viking probes, I believe were landers on Mars back in the 70s. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, the other point too, about this is that, yeah, it completely dominated the nation uh, over the idea of the nation or nationalism to where those highly technical elite fields for efficiency and to maximize things. Mm -hmm. You know, we see this a lot with computer programming, you know, all of like programming and computer science now is an era where it, it, there's no idea of a U.S. tech worker. They have to have their own yeah. specific advocacy groups to lobby Congress because H-1B visas can totally dominate the system. Right. I mean, we're, we're watching, and for uh, for the completely deculturated and deracinated people from the idea of the nation, uh, well, they're getting screwed over because almost every tech CEO in America now is some yeah. Indian guy uh, that will ensure that more Indians get hired and will continuously lobby and pressure them to ensure that uh, the H1 yeah. visas keep keep rolling. And the other thing, though, and this is where I think like conserva boomers kind of get it, is is uh, this sort of Christopher Lash point. This is that well, if you send your kids to universities, you know, they're gonna they're, they're gonna turn into liberals, and they're gonna you know just. And I mean, we're and that's where you get the whole bits about university like, you know, turned my son gay. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he comes back and he says his name is you know Ellen or something. What the fuck is this? You know, and it's just like it's got a half ponytail. He crops on the side. You know? Oh, that's a side shaver in the head, and he says he doesn't have a dick anymore. You know, just like angry. <laughs> You'd be great if you were like fifty five, like fifty six years old. You'd have. Oh, I'm gonna. I'm going to turn into a beautiful boomer. Um, <laughs> that's that's the last nice. of the American boomers. Like the, the last American boomer will be me on my. Yeah, you and your chat, your chad wife will still be wearing those like uh, 
school you bet your ass i'm gonna yeah. be wearing yeah, fucking denim overalls over like a collared shirt yeah with the pockets in the front you know that that yeah there you go God, if she's listening to this right now but back in my day when i got an education not everyone was fucking gay you know <laughs> just like um <laughs> oh, oh my God. Uh, I'm gonna. Well, th there, there, there's an act that I'm gonna definitely keep going with. But you know, back in my back in my day, a guy could go to university and he didn't have to dilate for the rest of his life. No, I'm telling you, fucking what. But um, well, we've 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 broken. We've broke, never get monetized. Oh shit! Uh, we're we're past now. We're an hour and forty minutes in. I think we're okay. Um, you know. But uh, I think that's I think that that's a very valid point, though, because even today, like the a, a yeah. traditional American conception uh, only very recently has the uh, racial consciousness like come back into the the forefront, because until then, you know, anyone could be an American. Anyone could do that. But it was all oriented around assimilation. Um, you know, right. the, the melting pot obviously isn't a melting pot. It's a it's a mixed salad where nothing is actually the same. And uh, that, that's a point to make there. Like, well, you know, everyone can contribute to it. That's why we have this. And it's funny that they say, like, uh, you know, that um, Borstein would say that this is like a right conception of market orientation. Like, yeah. Yes. It, to some extent, well, he's yeah. boomer posting there. You got to give well, him. Well, again, yeah. it, it's sort of that new left yeah. stuff. But I mean, it's uh, the, the position, though, is, is that, you know, uh, to, to quote a certain. Um, uh, you know, well-known, you know, boomer himself, you know, uh, Carl Benjamin, you know, fuck the GDP is a, mm. is a position a lot more people are taking because again, that sort of, dare I say, neoliberal market-oriented conception has only added to the complete deculturization and the complete deracination of anyone's understanding of what America is because, yeah. well, you know, we need more immigrants because my GDP or we have to compete with China or, you know, we have right. to be like Matty Glacius and turn New York city into an ashtray where 7 billion people can live there. Uh, all of this is just absolutely depressing. No, but it's going to be like the John Winthrop tweet where you can fit all of humanity in America, just crush them down into salt cubes and put them in huge silos. <laughs> that will be America. The American <laughs> landscape will have just silos of salt people. Uh, like, you know, that, like you know, on the original series Star Trek, where um, the one guy had like a, a ray gun where it could dehydrate you, yeah, and so it turns the whole body into like just a cube of salt. It'll be like that. Um, so <laughs> God bless John Winthrop. I hope he comes back. I know the Amarites, uh w really worship him. Uh, he was a great mutual, great friend. Um, but the point I think that really runs throughout the whole book even though <laughs> sorry i'm reading chat now i'm trying not to fucking <laughs> oh, lose God. it um thanks nice grandpa universal paper clips is the ultimate american oh man that's terrible back in my day blow <laughs> been having a guard trouble uh, <laughs> that's a good michael that is a good one man that's a good one. i gotta admit that's a good one i won't i won't um, read that one out for yeah yeah this gets lost <laughs> Back in my day, but ain't no good <laughs> liberal. <laughs> that, uh, uh. But uh, but the point that runs throughout the book, even the later chapters, such as when he talks about um, 
he gets explicitly more into our criticism. Like he kind of boomers posts. He's like, can liberalism be saved? Um, then he goes again, uh, the narcissistic culture of quantification. Uh, he tends towards like a bit of a solution. It's called the hermetic solution uh, or the hermetic solution. So you use a lot of like Gadmer's truth and method in it, which I've, I read a bit of a long time ago, but I have to get back to reading it. Um, so like, how do you basically resist the quantification of all culture? So here he says um, in the chapter two, kitsch an alternative aesthetic truth. This is the intersection of corporatization and aesthetics. So the basic thesis that he has is that liberalism, by its very nature, modern liberalism, denies the reality of kitsch. Yeah. And so all these people on the political right that are, you know, Thomas Kincaid posting, you have to realize that kitsch is just as much alienating you as any sort of like, you know, late century modernist, you know, Jackson Pollock, Mark Rothko, whatever, right? Like you, you know, whatever, you know, your abstract expressionism, whatever is like, <laughs> you've got to realize that kitsch liberalism at one time produces the reality of kitsch in that it has to find a way out of necessity to mediate the aesthetic, the politico aesthetic palette of a society that is inherently multicultural and deracinated, but at the same time has to deny that kitsch is real because now it's sort of driven headlong into taking on that selectively postmodernist thing motif of destroying the distinction between high and low culture, right? So Jeffrey Coons is the best example. He takes something very kitschy Americana, very low crass culture, like the baubles that you would find in a, in a sort of like, you know, older version of America, like the, the sort of route 66, like, you know, tourist trap shop, those little kitschy statues you'd find. And he makes them into high art, right. By having, you know, a whole army of artisans that craft these monstrous statues, right. You know, he's, he literally has a whole team of 200 people that creates these things. Um, in, in his fact, his art factory, because of course he, because of course Jeffrey Coons, he's got to be like Andy Warhol with the art factory. Um, so what liberalism does, modern liberalism, is it takes that concept to Botsborsine of destroying high and low culture, but then its place it kitschifies everything, but it denies that kitsch is reality, because to say that there is such a thing, this place of non-art called kitsch that is enclosed within itself, that gives you false sentimentality or fake emotion, that is entirely market-driven, to say that kitsch is a reality is to negate the multicultural and post-national character of liberalism by saying that there is unique culture, there is unique um, grounded and culturated forms of art and aesthetic expression. But to say that there is a hierarchy of them and to say that truth and aesthetic truth comes from its unique position within culture, that is to negate the modern project of liberalism. So all multiculturalism is kitsch to Boss Borstein. And so I think that's a monumental point. But then he says that there are three responses there. 
that he calls B1, B2, and B3. So let me find it. Um, this is page. Uh, so it's after the chapter on bullshit. Um, he's saying, this is chapter two. Page. Oh, here he goes. Page uh, 48. Page 48. So here are the options that the liberal presents us. Option one, B1. This intersection between bullshit and catch. Yeah. B1 is consumers of kitsch who simply do not know what kitsch is because if they knew what it was, they would probably not consume it. I say probably, but do not make a judgment here. B2 are people who understand perfectly well what kitsch is, but believe that their entire concept of kitsch is irrelevant. They recognize it merely as subjective constructions produced by an elite that does not correspond to any reality. And should therefore be abandoned. So to say the kitsch is real is, you know, colonialist and racist and homophobic. And, and he says this in the book. He says that to say kitsch is real means that you must say that trans people aren't valid or whatever. Or that you're a racist or whatever. B3 are people who know what kitsch is, accept its existence, but like it nevertheless. Strictly speaking, they do not like kitsch as kitsch. They have an ironic attitude towards it. They do not merely consume it, but use it and play with it. Most typically in contexts that are alien to catch. So Thomas, so, so, um, not Thomas Kincaid. So Jeff Koons would be B3 because he knows what catch is, but he's playing with it in the fine art world. So the characteristics of B1 is that they tend to have less education than others. So group A would probably reproach them for accepting kitsch as the real thing. Group two and group three most likely are educated, but differ in their attitudes. So B3 shares certain points of B2, but does not real relativistic as B2. So B3 would say that yes, kitsch is real and that values and culture are real, but in some ways we can't escape the monumental kleptocratic nature of kitsch because he is saying in this book, that liberal kitsch is just as authoritarian as the older millenarian regimes of communism and fascism and the Austrian painter. Because he's saying that kitsch arises in totalitarian societies to hammer a message. So the art of you know certain art forms that were worshipped by the Austrian painter's regime, or more likely in Soviet realism, these were kitsch. They were politikitsch. They were the politicization of aesthetics. But he's saying in liberalism, there is pound for pound more kitsch being produced than ever because you need more of aesthetic propaganda to hammer home the message than in a totalitarian society. And of course, he quotes Noam Chomsky in Manufacturing Consent where he says, well, you know, a distance can easily be, you know, unpersoned. In yeah. any totalitarian regime, it's much harder to one person dissidents, although it's getting easier in, you know, modern global liberalism. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I've been well, talking I, a lot here. No, no, yeah. no, no you're, you're good. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that number uh, B3, you know, the people that play with it uh, ironically, they do not merely consume it, but use it and play with it, most typically yeah. in contexts that are alien to it. I mean, that's, that's meme magic right there. That is when people take the humans of flat design and they sort of reappropriate it to sort of, you know, turn it in a mirror back on on itself because kitsch has yeah. no 
introspective quality to it. Whereas those who are outside of it, I think that mainly, as you sort of mentioned, and kind of in reference to your own essay, you know, the Confederacy of shit posters. Oh yeah. That, you know, all we have all these people out there that can hold a mirror to kitsch itself and sort of explicate it in a transgressive way to where we know that this is bad. This is why I think that there are certain uh, Wojaks that I, I will try my best to, where they sort of and hero themselves in a 42% life fashion. Uh, like, the, you know, people know what I'm referring to. And uh, they, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that that is taking Kitchen to itself and pointing it back at it in a way that we can enjoy in a transgressive fashion, but, you know, play with it in an ironic way that is alien to those that would say, you know, oh, these things are valid. Oh, these people yeah. Are the way that they are. And some of those example. edits are pretty wild too. Yes, they they're, are. Pretty like good. we're in there, the, the gamer room, and <laughs> oh man, and oh. the programmer socks and everything. Um, One of my but, favorite ones on Twitter, my friend Sexy Ren posted where he hangs and then like he decouples and he goes right down to hell. Where it's like you see all the screaming. Ah, oh, never, never mind, never mind. <laughs> I know I've seen that one though. It's but it's good. funny how you may you like you say that on the political right the, the sort of response to like liberal kitsch is like right-wing meme culture was which in itself has like the hallmarks of like creating a facsimile of like reality it, which in itself can be kitsch to like well and that, but online, that, that, that's but. That, that's the point though that i think is there's a cat there's a corollary to it because there is right-wing kitsch yeah. um in our own meme culture i think yeah. to some extent where people would want to put the the little peepoo in the uh thomas kincaid painting or whatever like we have our own yeah. there's definitely for sure um but then the other thing i was gonna even say like was, gun cult like gun bro stuff we were mentioning could be like, oh yeah that's a yeah. that's another great example i think of just yeah. like conserva boomer right-wing kitsch like oh yeah i got my guns and freedom and or or yeah. and, but that also gets parodied with like those boomer uh like skull um like skeleton posters yeah yeah like, yeah the uh, punisher patriot, you know yeah punisher like the punisher not, harley davidson like ed hardy aesthetic you're, yeah you're not a real patriot unless you're willing to die for gay sex in ukraine or whatever <laughs> like um like you see the, all best, sorts of the best one i saw was the one land saw where it was like a patch with the punisher symbol it said let's fuck brandon like <laughs> I wanted to write a whole essay on that. Like, <laughs> but I was thinking about sexual humiliation. And uh, for some reason, boomers, like both boomer libs and boomer conservatives, both have very like perverted, like sexually driven humor on Facebook. Like if you're a boomer lib, you're posting like Trump and Putin, like, you know, in bed together. If you're a boomer con, it's like, I don't know, some kind like that. Let's fuck Brandon. Like, but I mean, uh, let's let's not kid ourselves. The uh, today's right is by no means an exception. You know, uh, all the all the popular memes of like trying to find photos of Michelle Obama pregnant, or yeah, the you know renewed emphasis of how we we treat the other as these like self sodomizing, yeah. self aggrandizing people. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say was like uh, B two people to... who understand I'm... perfectly about kitsch. Is there? Is there a, a photo of Michelle, of Michelle Obama pregnant? That, that's the ultimate. Um, it's the I've ultimate never seen. Apparently, one of her daughters was conceived through IVF. I don't know. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting rabbit hole that you might want to. Yeah, um, maybe uh, research on your own. Time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm, like I'm seeing the picture of like her and Michelle when they're younger and and. Uh, the daughter's like a little girl in the cart, but I'm not seeing, uh, 
I guess she looks kind of pregnant in this photo. I, um, I, yeah, no, you never mind. Yeah, never yeah, mind. yeah, yeah. I, I can't believe I've sent, you down. Uh, I've sent you down this path. I'm so sorry. But I mean, the oh, uh, the concept of just like the perverted old man, I think, is just evergreen in politics. Uh, yeah, yeah. And like the other thing, though, that and like what you said, the uh, the, the B2 crowd, right? We, we recognize, um, you know, the, uh, the I think there's like a fourth crowd. I mean, shit posters mm. is kind of in B3, but I would say B4 is people who understand perfectly well what kitsch is and believe that the entire concept of kitsch is a part of our current political problems. Yeah. And we recognize it not just as a subjective construct, as a non-subjective construction, um, uh, because, well, I mean, yeah, subjective because it's produced by an elite, but it does correspond to the reality of those at the top. Um, mm. because mm -hmm. what, what, what is the thing about the like left-wing kitsch or like that, you know, ever so memed on like, um, uh, agrario, like uh, agrarian future, you know, oh, solar punk, solar punk, yeah, solar punk thing that they love. Yeah. No, not a white man in sight. In that no one. white, nah, not a white man in sight, but, um, you know, we're going to have our, it, it was like, you know, uh, Cesar Chavez futurism or whatever, like, <laughs> all these like you know, uh, gauche representations of what look like Hispanic or South American individuals, you know, still picking crops, but you know, they've got their cool, uh, futuristic net zero hovercraft or whatever that helps them pick things. And like, yeah, well, all... that, that, was it a Chobani commercial? Was it, it was a Chobani. Yeah, it was Chobani. Yeah. Chobani. Yeah. Like, well, that's sad, man. Chobani is actually pretty good. Um, but it's like that, I remember when that came out, like everyone was spoofing on it, the solar punk commercial, like how unrealistic it is, but also like the fact that uh, I, I think it was like, um, it may have been the best response was by nightmare vision. We said like, what like world G word I'd had to happen for this to become real. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, uh, but I mean, that isn't it the thing though about kitsch, uh, especially like neoliberal kitsch or just yeah. liberal kitsch in general is, is that it allows you to fantasize about a world that, um, then in order to achieve that world, right? Like nightmare vision says, well, how many people would have had to have been, you know, how many millions must have gone in order for that to to take place, and it yeah, allows you. Yeah, liberals the true millions must die crowd. I hate. Oh, to they say are. Them. It's yeah. one of those again. It's one of those more where the woke are more correct than the mainstream. Uh, yeah. You know, Kobe and on ever so perfect tweets where it's just like everyone wants to, um, you know, their ideal unreality vision is permanently unreality because like the liberals that were like, oh, I would love to live in this like Chopani solar punk world and I do anything to do it. And it's just like, yeah, that would, that would require, uh, you know, basically democide, but you know, um, yeah. that's why they'll never be happy at least for people not at the top. That's why, again, it's a mystery cult of power for the few and the rest are clinging on to kitschy dysgenic fantasies, telling them that they have some semblance of power, some semblance yeah. of being good and it all leads into advertisements about, you know, or web comics about people saying, no, I'm going to have my tubes tied. My bloodline ends with me. And it's just like, that is kitsch for your lumpen proletariat masses. That is kitsch for your bioleninist foot soldiers. Yeah. Um, it, it is not for the people like Jeff, like Jeff Bezos. It's not for... It's not for, you know, Jerome Powell or whatever, or any of the other big cultural leaders. It's not the Klaus Schwab's of the world, you know. They're happy to let you at the bottom 
you know, in this sort of high-low versus middle fashion to be given a sort of this kitschy soteriology to where your only like worldly salvation comes through um, changing the weather by eating, you know, canola oil, cricket flour based alternative. Yeah. And then you'll drive yourself mad and bite someone's nose. And here we are. There was this tweet by, uh, uh, Yungelos, um, Lindius Normie. He, uh, um, what's his handle? Lydius Nominee. Lydius Nominee. Yeah. Lydius Nominee. He's back on Twitter. He's got a different account, but, it was the when the queen died where it was some like irony bro that like had this tweet blow up or some irony bro woman like they have a contingent of women that said i hope all the irish palestinian gone and indian yemeni uh kenyan uh singaporean blah 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 pakistan uh nigerian uh indigenous americans they're all having a good time today right and then he posted a picture of a favela like the glow and he said I, and this is like, on, I post this on my Telegram. By the way, go to my Telegram, telegram.com slash giant productions. I need to get to a thousand followers at least. He said that the punishment for besmirching the selfless gifts of white civilization is to forever suffer in the earthly hell of the Giga Longhouse Ultra Favela. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, we're heading there aren't we folks we're, like oh god but like that's but that's what i mean like their idea of kitsch it is like kitschy wholesome chungus like but really it'll be the earthly murky dis dis dysgenic sweltering hell of the giga ultra longhouse favela like well, I mean, I mean, and just think oh. about it as you as you go to work at your Amazon job, yeah, in this ultra long house Giga favela where you know you're um you eat rice with your hands and you're you're eating pie. rice with your hands because your twenty two dollar avocado toast was uh, unfortunately stolen because the guy that was doing Postmates or whatever got shot on the way over. Um, <laughs> oh, all that you'll do God. then is you'll scroll through your you know newly approved uh you know indian twitter clone and just you know enjoy the models of solar punk of the world and the future that you thought you were promised yeah and all the meanwhile you are forced to work in co- in terms of corporate excellence and efficiency culture yeah. to where an amazon hires a former private prison executive to help with their warehouse condition oh my god and um, then you eat bologna that has slime on it and like uh well, that's if you're lucky, actually, because in the future it'll be bug baloney, yeah. um, you know, um, and and of course they got down your uh, your piss break down to like instead of two minutes, it's a minute fifty. So yeah. that's they got that down. Uh, but it's funny though. But the thing is, the reason we call it kitsch, like I think when it comes to my theory of neoliberal kitsch, it is a, a facsimile a facsimile of the real. It's not just the false emotion of it, but rather it's constructing a picture of the eternal present that could be if we only, you know, get rid of all the undesirables, which is people, you know, people like us. So it's like the whole, like, and it's funny because Bots Borstein says something very based in this book later on. He says that to say that kitsch is real is to say that you're not only racist and homophobe, but also when it comes to LGBT culture in particular, they have kind of like a lot of like kitschy, campy type of an aesthetic going on that is by definition universalizable. 
like the way that it wasn't in the 80s or 90s, as we covered with the Teen Apocalypse trilogy. Nowadays, a lot of gay culture is basically globalized in a sense, the way that, you know, uh, hip hop culture is throughout the world from America. It's that to say that there is a high culture and low culture is to consent. And so this is the picture that he gets in the book. This is a driving force of it. He says that in the time of the Enlightenment, they were anti-Kitsch because Kitsch was bourgeois. Kitsch was of the aristocracy. Kitsch was, I hope Paul Talk is listening to this. Kitsch is the Rococo painting. You know what I mean? But he said that something's flipped. He's saying that Kitsch now is the Enlightenment. Even though historically, the to the to the eyes of the aristocracy back in, you know, let's say Bourbon, France, Rococo was very progressive. Rococo was sexually frivolous and, and humorous and light and airy and, and it worshipped the human body in a way that neoclassicism did not because neoclassicism was unironically like the return, right? Yeah. But later on, Rococo became the return, like like the, the trad larp because yep. they had technique, they had Bouguereau later on, the academic painters, right? That Rococo what, had a you know, sort of a tangential relationship with. Um, but then what happened was enlightenment flipped. Enlightenment became what Adorno described. It became instrumental reason, but also kitsch because kitsch became universalizable. Kitsch became the destruction of the older high-low culture that was very like reactionary and right-wing, right? So kitsch now becomes equated with enlightenment. It is using that same metric of instrumental reason as applied to liberalism, as applied to multiculturalism, as applied to art and aesthetics. Humans of flat design is not like just this affectation of sentiment or false sentiment. It's not just like this feely, you know, feel good. Everyone is valid. All bodies are valid. That comes out of the driving force of instrumental reason because now what is the key to a highly managerialized society, it is to turn everyone into gray goo that are very easy to control and manipulate, that don't have those cultural signifiers to get in the way with, to clash with the other. It is the destruction of the Schmidtian friend-enemy distinction in the realm of art and aesthetics, which a lot of reactionaries hate to say it. And Charlemagne, if you're listening to this, bro, you got to get on the, the art right pill. No, nah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not going to talk about the art, right? But like a lot of like reactionaries that go in depth into the juvenile and, 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 uh, you know, uh, Burnham and, uh, yeah, mole bug, like not to say that mole bug is as great as Burnham and juvenile, but you know what I mean? Like the, the trajectory, right? They don't, they ignore the aesthetic relation between that sort of ultra like instrumentalization of all life. And, Art, uh, the sort of art that gets produced, the the illustration, the illustration world is the first victim of this, because illustration is delivered into the hands of the global regime, at least in my opinion, and the and fine arts is as well. I hate to say this, I mean, I I think that fine arts could create a pocket of resistance, but I, I hate to say it, but um, the art world is sort of like playing catch up in a way with the regime by pumping out like this highly politicized crap, you know, the stuff that our good friend. Alexander Adams talks about. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, which, I mean, we will, it, which we will have on the show. But, indeed uh, we shall. Yeah. But no, I think the point is also worth making there that like, yeah, fine arts have to play catch up because they were yeah. rather insulated by class for the longest time. And now that you've sort of unleashed your this culture, um, the, the highs have to keep giving gibs to the lows in order to keep yeah. doing what they're doing. And yeah. so, you know, that's why we're talking about racism in ballet or getting rid yeah. of sort of blind uh, auditions and just based upon the music for like the opera or for uh, orchestras and things like that. Um, and I mean, the the other issue, though, and this is actually a point that this text and, and this and your bit here just made me think. Mm. Yarvin's a computer programmer. Yarvin is the culture of San Francisco and Silicon Valley, which is all about efficiency. Yeah. And, you know, that corporate excellence culture that we just talked about. Yeah. There is no aesthetic there. It is merely kitsch. Um, and this is why I'm kind of glad that a lot of people are kind of avoiding that dime square sort of piece and discussion, because what are you going to generate? Uh, and this isn't to insult people or anything like that, but you are going to make kitsch in your own way of trying to be defiantly countercultural or transgressive against the regime. Mm -hmm. And that's when mm -hmm. you start adopting mm -hmm. these politics because, ooh, it's transgressive. And it's like, no, all that you're doing to call is, M. Crumps a T word chaser. Like, that's, well, yeah, yeah, you know, and all that you're doing at that point is to, yeah, to do some IRL trolling and, ooh, you know, I'm going to engage in these politics because I find it transgressive and kinky. And all that you produce then is more kitsch that devolves any sense of seriousness to what can be an effective counterculture. Because, you know, the, the models of culture in the past, of course, were primarily patron-based. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so if everything is about efficiency, everything is about this culture that doesn't traditionally view things as a um, aesthetic, you know, uh, what what will be produced becomes very questionable. Uh, and I, I don't know, I'm thinking out loud. It's just, a, I think there's something there that I'm going to have to keep pulling that thread on. But, and there's just, uh, this text has now made me think even more. Um, yeah. And I just want to pull at it. I just think that that has something to do with it because a culture that is oriented around the universalization of ones and zeros in silicon uh, yeah. is going to have a really hard time getting themselves out of a mindset and an ethic and an aesthetic that is antithetical to what we would be traditionally referred to as something that's not kitsch. Yeah. And let me set this up, this quote I wanted to read from ahead of the book. Um, yeah. It's three anti-liberals, Burkhart, Evola, and Meinacht. I think that's how you pronounce it, Meinacht. Um, so in the book, he says that, very similar to Byung-Chul Han, in that Butts Borstein says that liberalism gives you freedom, right? Because kitsch is freedom. Because you can do whatever you want now. You can be like as wholesome chungusy as you want. You could like love Bob Ross videos and uh, Marvel movies now. Uh, you know, it's kitsch. It's good. It's amazing. So he says that the reaction to it, like, for, again, like Chilhan, is that Freedom is provided to you in this highly managerial, instrumental reason type of fashion. It's, it's, you know, the algorithm will give you freedom. You know, the Google search mechanism will give you freedom. Like that's, you know. Well, freedom so, for maybe thinking for yourself. You exactly. Know. Right. And, and it's funny because I, I, I remember, I believe it was um, Apocalyptic Abyss on Twitter or was it um, 
nuclear toredness. One one of the Amarnites posted the the uh, clip. Um, no, it was Unconscious Abyss. It was Unconscious Abyss. I retweeted it, posted this clip from the, I believe, mid-90s, where an executive that worked at Microsoft said that Google, how it gives you how many results? Hundreds, right? Thousands, right? He goes, that's, an, an, that's a bug in the system to give you that many results. It should give you the right answer every time. Yeah. Think of how scary that is. Think of what Google is doing to manipulate the algorithm. Like, like I said this in my piece that I'm writing about the uh, Lauren Southern documentary. I said that, you know, if you Google uh, Gamergate, if you Google, um, what did I say? Uh, if you Google the alt-light, like any search terms like that, you'll get like a bunch of articles from pseudo-academics and from like anti-hate groups and whatnot that says like, oh, the radicalization pipeline. That's all you're going to get. Yeah. Google those terms, right? So the executive of Microsoft saying that is a defect is a bug that Google doesn't give you the right answer every single time. It gives you hundreds of answers. And, and we all know that they say statistically um, about 90% of people drop off at the second page of Google search results. But this is a quote. This is from the beginning of chapter. Um, yeah. Google doesn't even give you that many results. Just like 12 pages of the correct results. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. Subject to change. Um, I'm curious about the academic pe background of people who watch this video series. I had a STEM background myself, but I didn't think that it represents most of it here. Um, yeah, I mean, STEM, okay, STEM people, you can get a diversity of people. I know a lot of people that uh, in, uh, are, you know, make up right-wing Twitter. A lot of them are from engineering backgrounds. Uh, so apparently Z, our good friend ZHP made Candy Crush possible. I don't know if that's true. That's just uh, <laughs> I wouldn't a be rumor. surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I yeah. wouldn't be surprised. Uh, um, but but no, you know yeah, what would be a good, ironic? A, a good like chunk ZHP, of us though, do come from that. Yeah, that like game. ZHP, God forbid, I do not wish this. I'm not speaking this into the aether. God forbid he does get doxxed one day and he did was on the development team of Candy Crush. And so it's like if you look at his um his short story key performance indicators, like it's kind of like the the sort of the freemium games operate with like the proto version of that. But um, that's kind of fascinating. Um, three anti-liberalism. So this is chapter. Um, this is chapter eight. So he says that liberalism was um, the norm around 1900 in Germany and Italy. Fascism destroyed it. Liberalism was a mixture of liberal and nationalist as opposed to communitarian uh, senti sentiment. Liberalism was strong, but the strength of it looked particularly bad in the eyes of its opponents. So. He says, now the new forms of resistance to liberalism took many liberalists by surprise. Oh, he even says the term liberalist. Um, so maybe if someone could post the uh, Giga Chad head of uh, of uh, Carl Benjamin, the liberalist. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> the new form of resistance to liberalism took them by surprise. The new enemies of liberalism were no longer conservatism, but revolutionary movements like fascism. According to German historian Frederick Menich, fascism was the, quote, deviation from the main line of European development. Fascism speaks about the Volk and the nation. In this sense, fascism imports culture, even though the culture is reduced to nationalism and has mainly a militant function into a world of liberalism that was increasingly seen as decultured. 
fascism and contemporary populist movements, as well as religious extremism, have one thing in common. They react against liberalism and take advantage of a crisis linked to liberalism's paradoxical constellations that have been shown above that since its inception. So it explains chapter six. Liberalism they dismantle is sick. It has been shown above this that since its inception, liberalism suffers from an intrinsic conceptual paradox concerned concerning the universalization of liberty. Consequently, anti-liberal counter-movements advertise one ideal, the freedom not to be submitted to the freedom of liberalism. They see this as the real freedom, cultured freedom. Some require the freedom to be submitted to traditions. Return! Though liberals perceive the latter as unfree. Oh my God, no! However, to avoid the dictatorship of liberalism, one is ready to submit to the dictatorship of non-liberal governments. Millions must! No, no, never mind. Never, never, never mind. Very often, communitarianism is nothing but self-serving ploy invented by some leaders to justify their authoritarian rule. Anti-liberal communitarians do not realize that they are reproducing a paradoxical constellation similar to the one they're trying to avoid. So he's saying that, unfortunately, a lot of, uh, like, counter, um, my neck, a Manike, my neck, a, I don't think that's pronunciation by monophelamos. Um, he's so, German. He'd know. Yeah. Yeah. He would know. Yeah. So, um, he's saying that unfortunately even fascism can produce its own form of kitsch which is anti-liberal but kitsch nonetheless but a different form of it so i but i wonder though we talk about this with the art right do you think that like you know like you said you hit the nail on the head like are we not just producing another form of kitsch in a way like it's hard to i think escape. we're heading yeah. into that direction and i was reading this article from uh city journal by ns lyons today that was talking about you know uh, can can a popular or can this like rightist you know burgeoning rightist uh, counterculture um, yeah. survive or create you know new institutions and that was the question that was being posed at the very end is this just like well what's going to happen next and I, I felt inclined to write a reply because it was just like well you know uh, m most culture you know that people become your pod people because you're in charge, you know, yeah. if the, if the people that were advocating this bug free lifestyle or this, you know, meat free lifestyle and, you know, micro tiny homes and stuff like that, then yeah. uh, how many people would be for that? You know, is the general zeitgeist most likely very little. And I would presume that uh, a counterculture is popular and it one because it's transgressive, but two, uh, because it's meant to stand for something that is an alternative, which makes it innately revolutionary. Uh, um, and yeah. in that case, well, that's why you also get a lot of weird, like, Marxoid types that kind of, like, come around to these parts, which, again... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, yet, uh, yet, the uh, the issue I find in this is that, yeah, we're going to produce more kitsch until there is, I think, a more established you know, dissident center, because right now, what are we doing? Well, you know, you get people that DM us based upon clout or your own merit, and they will ask you to review books. They will ask you to edit. They will ask you to write yep. forwards and blurbs and hope for the best. 
And, yep. you know, this is not to uh, insult those that do run good publishing houses. I mean, there are plenty of great works that have been put out there by our, our friends over at Imperium Press and various other ones. But the, the question Rogue is still... Scholar, oh, Antelope Rogue Hill, Scholar, yeah. Antelope Hill, all of them. Uh, yeah. And I'm so glad that they exist. But Passage Press, Passage Press. Yeah. Passage Press has now just emerged. Will that become something that can be much more of a permanentized institution that mm. can allow us to effectively disseminate something that is opposing to the um, managerial zeitgeist that we live under? Because if not, then I feel like any Joe Blow can come out and say, like, that's the thing, right? Like, that's the thing about um, sort of the E-Right, too, is, is that we have newcomers and we have people that kind of, like, retire and return into the ether. Yeah, Pat Trudis, uh, was talking about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, sort a of... A good example, my friend Adam Wallace, perfect example. Like, when he quit, you know, he left the internet entirely, and yeah. Um, and, and so it's uh, just uh, something I definitely think that is what we're going to come on, come into dealing with in the future. And uh, I, I think that if you do get a chance to talk to Alexander Adams, you should ask him about his concept of the based Barbican, uh, his mm. proposal of a dissident arts center. Now, it's, his idea is based in the UK, but I mean, it could easily apply anywhere else. Because, I mean, unless you get an institution or even a captured one, um, I just feel like we, it'll be very easy to fall into narcissistic, masturbatory, right wing, or even, you know, just post left kitsch. You know, yeah, but again, yeah. I'm I'm not an artistic person, um, you know, and so this is just me thinking out loud. Yeah, I mean, I'm more sympathetic to certain forms of the post left because they do have a like some of them do have a background in art in art theory and and they do yeah, explore yeah. sort of weirdo films and things like you know Jack Perfume Nationalist like a lot of like transgressive stuff that I have an intellectual interest in for whatever reason that the majority of the right wing would think is a, you know, degenerate. I mean, I mean, we covered the teen apocalypse series. I mean, come on, like, that's, you know, um, uh, and like you, like I said, when we did that, I, if we did not have that stream, I would have never had seen nor heard of those movies. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it is but good I loved to expose it. yourself to it. You know, what's funny when I was like last night, um, like putting in this stream, I remember thinking about when we did that, it was like, yo, and it was the summer and it was like, it was chill. And it was like, you know, especially watching nowhere. I think like he had that MTV generation feel to it. It was like, oh man, you know, return, return to nineties degeneracy, <laughs> not, not 2020s degeneracy. But this is a quote from Young Chil Han. Um, <laughs> 1990s degeneracy was pretty, uh, was pretty, was, a, was pretty straight. Yeah, it was pretty the halcyon days of degeneracy of, of, of excess. Um, oh my God, uh, smart power. So this is from Smart Power, the chapter in Psychopolitics, page fifteen. Smart power with a liberal, friendly appearance, power that stimulates and seduces, is more compelling than power that imposes, threatens, and decrees. Its signal and seal is the like button. Now people subjugated themselves to dominance by consuming and communicating and they click like the whole time. Neoliberalism is the capitalism of like. It is fundamentally different from 19th century capitalism, which operates by means of disciplinary constraints and prohibitions. Smart power reads and praises our conscious and unconscious thoughts. It places its stock in voluntary self-organization and self-optimization. As such, it has no need to overcome resistance Mastery of this sort 
requires no greater expenditure of energy or violence. It simply happens. The capitalism of like should come with a warning label. Protect me from what I want. Whoa! Protect me from what I want. That's amazing. That's an Alice in Chains lyric right there. Um, but I think that neoliberal kitsch operates in this manner. I think that I always remember this uh, quote from Common Filth, where he says that is like he, he was doing a tabloristas where he said that oh my god, you know people that like this world are living in hell. In other words, like people that in like people that are uniquely suited to like to be a phenotype of someone who's uniquely suited to our particular world nowadays to the present. It's almost like living in hell in the sense of like when you have no greater aspirations than just a more sort of like greater element of the present, like that really is like, man, that's it's. And then of course, even bots Borstein talks about the anti-utopianism of uh liberalism. Polly frog, baby. Welcome. Polly frog has a kid. What, what are you talking about, man? I think he's referring to the Polly frog that entered the chat earlier. But uh, wait, there's a what? I let me go up. Scroll, scroll up while you do that. Um, but I, I, I'll have to read the rest of the. You mean the Polly Frog entered the chat? Well, I mean, there's one up there that says with an 88 at the end. But I'll let you. Uh, oh, know. okay. That should be the determining factor: who's real and who isn't at these t at these names and such. Um, okay, delusions of grandeur. Yeah, yeah. That's Pauly there's Frog. a lot of that for sure. <laughs> Polly Frog 88. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, did he get clipped off of twitter recently because of uh never mind it's just drama, it's or drama. it happens a lot i think oh uh, man do they are serious did they get rid of paul talk they got rid of him been, on twitter again quite a few bands as of late yeah yeah um i forgot to change my name back to after Polly frog stream last night oh, okay okay nah. you're trolling um okay yeah paul I, yeah paul i don't know if paul talk got clipped off of twitter again i wonder um i have to see him on odyssey i guess um but yeah there's been a few like they got oh they got rid of masaki because he was you know well it was inevitable i hate to say it um they got rid of quite a few people recently um yeah they sure did yeah 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 sure sure um but I mean, yeah, they'll always come back. The, you know what's funny? Med Med Gold tried to come back, but they clipped him off in like less than a few hours. Good lord! So uh, Paul Town got banned with his recent new account. Ah, damn! Can't believe that. People um, people find ways. Yeah, people find ways. All right. So I think is that a good point to leave off? We've been going for over. I think so. Man. I think we can get to the supers. Let's get to the supers. All right. So. Then we'll do the shilling. So I guess we're winding it down. Let me go all the way up to uh, the stupor chats. Um, the giant you at a big mic pipeline. Uh, <laughs> Feels so, uh, you know. DHP made the best paperclip redskin Bantu. Bantu maxing is hard thing to do. Yeah, I agree. I agree full Bantu maxing. <laughs> the best was when Bap told that story of where he... Uh, was with a friend and uh, he like decided to throw his subway sandwich out. But then a cop found him. He's like, hey, I don't know. I was, uh, I, I had this impulse to act bad too. <laughs> and 
Eastern public littering. Um, acting ban. What what a term. What a term. Acting ban too. Um, all right. Let's see if I have the super chats ready to go. I think I have all of them. Yeah. Okay. Right. Here we go. Um, for where is it? No name for two dollars. Sneed. Thank you. No name. Thank you. Um, I appreciate it. So, um, I can't, I can never pronounce his name. Monothalam. I think I got a monothalamos for $5. Have you ventured panelists seen bitter moon by notable great human being? Roman Grumlonsky should be up. Uh, Geo's out. I haven't heard of bitter moon. Let's look this up. The last name is just perfect. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Bitter Moon 1992 is a erotic romantic thriller directed by Roman Polanski. Roman, oh, yeah, I get it. Roman Gramsci. <laughs> um, I think I may have saw it once, actually. Um, the Lune de Mal, meaning honeymoon, is based on the novel Lunes de Fin, The, the Last Moon by uh, Pascal Bruch Bruckner, um, published in English as Evil Angels. Uh, British couple Nigel through Mediterranean cruise Istanbul. Um, I think I may have seen this one. I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. I mean, if it's an erotic thriller, I mean, I'm all for it. So thank you very much. Monothalamus. Thank you. Um, Kron kicks for $5 since a super stick. Uh, what super sticker is that? I'd have to look it up. Uh, yeah, I, wonder if he's... I mean, you can look it up on the, uh, YouTube studio. Oh yeah, that's right. You know, let's just look at. Let me just go to the YouTube studio. There you go. Really quickly. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh man, it's it's been it's been quite a uh, quite a stream actually. We went we went longer than last time. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, when we went for we well, we went for almost three hours last yeah. time uh, on the September 11th stream that we did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Go down to monetization. Uh, supers. There we go. Supers. Yeah, you always find out um, what the uh, emoji is. Yeah. So this is um. Where is it? Oh man, digital archipelago. I'm trying to find. I know I'm terrible. I'm I'm terrible at this. Um. Imagine being bitter about trash maxing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Bat tells a good story. I'll tell you what. Um, oh, it's a dancing lemon. Kron kicks into dancing lemon. Uh, so Christopher Poso for two dollars. Thank you very much. Um, then we have for two dollars Reagan Lodge. Thank you, excellent channel, my dude. Thank you very much, Reagan. Maybe I'll get you on Content Minor one or even like our show here, Digital Archipelago. Um, so let's go to uh, Kron kicks. For where is it? Ten dollars. Thank you very much, Cron Kicks. Wait, is it Cron Kicks? No, Cringe Walker. Sorry, Cringe Walker. Cron Kicks is probably doubting himself right now. Here we go, Cringe Walker for ten dollars. As a Christian, I have no re reason to doubt the Kirkish Dara War happened. Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. That was in the Ramayana. Uh, Ravanyana is an absolute Chad warrior. He did nothing wrong by dropping. The Pashtun Pastrana on his enemies. Nuclear war is based. Millions must die. <laughs> Jeez. That, that was um, I know Michael Cremo 
in uh in his uh, forbidden archaeology book posited that but i know a lot of the ancient alien people say that in the ramayana the great war that happened there was a nuclear weapon exchange uh prue do you think hindus uh were the first world nuclear power the indians uh maybe they're not maybe but i mean it depends on who decided to do some air bursting over the you know parts yeah. of the saharan desert and yeah. the uh and and what was used in regards to you know take care of that place but who knows you know i mean they're maybe. not the, they, they've only just now rediscovered nuclear weapons so we'll see how it goes yeah oh god you mean with pakistan yeah <laughs> we'll see if they we'll see if the if indra comes back again to throw nuclear weapons never mind no never mind no i'm not endorsing anything okay namaste namaste uh remember that was the first word they said to the bantus namaste um before millions died um uh, <laughs> for the t george sagan george sagan which is a combination of Carl Sagan and George Costanza. I'm imagining for the tip jar. I'll watch <laughs> for the tip jar. I'll watch and replay currently hiking in NC. Is that North Carolina? Yes. yes. Got my broomstick from the Wendigos and caretaker music for the horse. Yes. Prudentialist has an amazing video. I think it came up recently on Twitter with that BAP tweet about the Northwest. Uh, amazing video on the, untold horrors beyond the imagination in the American forest. Um, actually, if you go to, uh, there's this great uh, podcast thing I listen to. They have a great artwork as well. Do you know uh, bedtime stories? No, right? I don't. Yeah. They do the creepy stories one. There's this recent episode called almost missing 411. The people who managed to escape the uh, various uh, time portals they could have jumped into in uh, the forest. So uh, there's a bunch of stories like that, actually, where they say that people that were almost abducted by the uh, 411 phenomenon. Um, we'll have to. Yeah, I'll have to look them up because yeah. I've, I've done two stuff or two things about like cryptids and things like that. One about like the masculine urge to go kill them. Um, and then the other about yeah. like, the American and the European forest. Yeah, that meme with the Giga Chad with the uh, the the Millsup uh, sight laser. He's like, I'm going to kill you. He's like. When I kill you, I'm going to use your skin as a mattress, remember? <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. The uh, hideous cryptoid. Um, next, Cringe Walker, good friend of the show, Cringe Walker, for $5. If you want some fresh kitsch, check out who Columbia's Mattress Girl is dating these days. The kind of joke she tells. Yes, she was doing some uh, weirdo um, bondage performance art. But apparently, well, she's she, used the performance art, so I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Apparently, she's dating a Trump supporter, and uh, Emma Solkowitz, she is a uh, based uh, right wing trad wife now, uh, after sleeping around. Did you ever watch the prawn film with her? No, where she's mimicking the performance she did uh, as Mattress Girl. Uh, I gotta admit it was I think, I think my face is gonna tell you no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Do not research, do not research. Wasn't planning on it, but I'm not surprised that she did something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um it was this really weird like CCTV footage thing too. It was like it was weird. Um subject to change for $4.99. Thank you, thanks to the two of you for starting such a good show. Thank you, thank you. Um thank you. I like to think we have a pretty good dynamic subject. To I, I think so too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. 
Nietzsche's pride. What do you, King Salmonfish? You trying to subtweet Nietzsche again? My God, the Baptists are gonna eat King Salmonfish alive. I hate to say, I hate to say, many, many such cases. I think that was the last. Uh, yeah, enough, enough of the infighting. Uh, I think that was the last of the. Uh, yeah, I think that was the last of the super super chats. So thank you. Wow, this has been a great stream, man. We've been going for a long time. I have to break my fast soon. So uh final shilling would be um next week. I'll probably release the uh second part with um our good friend Stane Haynes on Content Minded. I probably will release teaser clips from my Jenner View series reviewing Young Shilhan Psychopolitics. I have a, a rant about Noam Chomsky I want to release. And uh, other than that, go to... Let me actually pull it up, actually. I, why did I click out of YouTube Studios? My God, I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> let me go to, uh, really quickly, YouTube Creator Studio content, Zoomer Schopenhauer. Yeah, get the link and put that in chat. Yeah, I'm getting the link now. So um, Geo's got his Zoomer Schopenhauer chat from yesterday that just came yep. out. So that'll be on my queue of things to listen to. You should do the same as well. Thank you. It's a really uh, great one, really theory-driven one. Yeah, post it in the chat. Here you go. And uh, there you go. Uh, it's in the chat, the link there. And uh, shilling for Prude, you have a, a busy week ahead of you as well. It's been Next a week. busy. It's been a busy week as it is this week. Yeah, um, yeah. So I between uh, go and watch the Patrick Casey one after this yeah, as well. Yeah, so, yeah, Patrick Casey. I spoke with him yesterday, sort of about the state of the U.S. dissident right and just a lot of more focus on American politics, mix of rank punditry, but also you know I got to talk to someone who's been in the game a lot longer than I have. Uh, tomorrow, which is Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern, I will be having my good friend T.R. Hudson on to talk about his book, Automaton, which you should uh, buy yourself a copy. If you haven't already, go and read it. Um, and we'll be talking about the writing process, how he got started. He's hosting a writer's workshop if you're interested. So there'll be plenty of great stuff to um, plug and promote there. And then on Saturday, I should have a new uh, Substack article out for our lovely subscribers and subscribe star backers. Yeah. Um, and also, congrats, Gio. You got over 4K. Yo, yeah, I got over 4K. That's right. It's right. I got over 4K subs now. Thank you. Um, I was actually talking to Gifts and Given, and she's like, I guess we're at the same clout level now. I go, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's been great. Thank you to my beautiful subscribers. Hopefully, more on the way. Um, my, my goal is to get to around 6 to 10K by New Year's. So, hopefully, that'll happen. Um a lot of great stuff planned on the way. Another point of shilling is um, tonight I'm recording it, so hopefully it'll come out maybe tomorrow or so with uh, my two good friends, Constantine Martelli and GSP. War Report, going to talk about the upgrading of the special military opera based in to partial mobilization. So um, that's going to be great. Hopefully we uh, don't fed post too hard. I've been givey posting on the TL, um, you know, RAP to a legend, two legends, Givy and Motorola. Um, we're taken far before their time. And uh, yeah, so it's going to be great. Next week is going to be staying Haynes again on content minded. And we'll probably figure out uh digital archipelago, which will be on Prudentialist's channel. Um, maybe uh, you, you'll pick the theme this time, obviously that's okay. Sounds do good. It. So there we go. Um, 
thank you so much. I don't know if I have any more stupid chats. Uh, this is your chance to get them in. Also, uh, yeah. uh, Nudge has a good question, but it's, it would it would take another hour here to answer that question. Oh, what's About the question? BAP. Oh, um, what is BAP solution? I like BAP, but what is the solution to things? Oh, no, um, yeah. <laughs> One of these days, you should get him on for an interview, Geo. On oh my god, that'd be a that dream question. come true. I mean, hey, if Star, if Starbard could get him on a Twitter space last night, maybe I could pull off the BAP interview. Who knows? Um, there you go, Geo. <laughs> one last thing. One last thing by Polly Frog. Um, vermin, vermin is important. Band. <laughs> Oh, uh, primitive root bantoid. <laughs> primitive. <laughs> we were just making we fun love of our band yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, anyways, thank you very much for watching. We're almost at the three hour mark. Um. Uh, that dude, World Greatest Dad, even confirmed the only legit bat counter singler. Well, I agree. King Salmon Fish can counter-signal anyone and make it look convincing. So, anyways, next, see you all next week. Please go to Prudentialist. All his links are down below, including his link to Subscribestar, my link to Patreon. This week will be the final chapter, Byung Chul Han, and then next week I'll have a great review. I probably am going to review the uh, article, uh, The Future Without Us, probably from Wired Magazine. So, we'll see what happens. Uh, thank you all. God bless. Goodbye. Do go to all our subscribers. Thank you so much for the 4K. And uh, we will see you next week on the Digital Archipelago on Prudential's channel. God we'll bless. Goodbye. Two. Sweet. And what, what, what's your what's your outro? I just simply just say see ya. It'll be going. Oh yeah. There you go. Take care, everybody. Take care.